Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other so they can once and for all find out who has better taste. I am Sam Blakely and I'm joined as ever by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh, are you, how are you, mate? Alright, mate. How are you? Tip-top, mate. I'm, I'm very excited today. You're very excited. You're, you're yeah. an excitable man, though, if I've noticed. Much um, excite. Much excite. Much There's reason e- to mucho be excited. Mucho excito. Are you I still wonder, doing your Spanish? I never, I haven't asked. I've maintained my daily streak on Duolingo. If, yeah, uh, you still maintained it. Wow. But uh, I haven't seriously done some Spanish for a, a long old time. Yeah, I suppose but if you maintain your streak, you're going to slowly get Eventually, better. eventually. Well, I'm not getting any better, but eventually I'll get around to getting better. And I think if I if I stopped my daily streak, I'd just stop altogether. So that's my that's my current goal. It's your motivation. It's motivation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I found when I was trying to do French, it got to a point where I had to physically learn stuff <laughs> to like keep going with the next it's thing. It's painful, isn't it? Yeah, you get to a milestone and you're like, okay, I've done at this level, let's move on. Uh, let's get what, some past me, tense done. It, for me, it was the spelling. I just, because you can put um, E's before I's in French and it just, my, <laughs> my fingers just wouldn't and thumbs were just like, no, that's wrong. So well, it took you me know, actually, to do a lesson, in English, I mean, I'm spelling everything I'm wrong. sure you're aware of this. Uh, there's actually more exceptions to that rule than, you know, words that follow the rule of I before E except after C. Um, but there's more words that break that rule. Yeah, than words that follow. And do you know where I learned that? QI. And do you know who uh, hosted QI before Sandy Totsvig? Was it uh, Jesus? No, well, it, in it a sense, like Jesus it, was the, it was the fourth of the in Holy Trinity. Sense. It was Stephen Fry. The fourth of the Holy Trinity. Famous atheist. And, uh, <laughs> and he wrote a book, which I'm sure he knew, but not the listener, uh, what no, was published in 1994. And in 2017, it became a film. And the reason yeah. why I'm so excited, as mentioned at the start, is because we've got a special guest on today, Hugh. And it's not just one of we our mates. Friends. <laughs> no, it's an actual filmmaker, isn't it? So actual filmmaker. What we're going to be doing in this episode? Yeah, we've got. Uh, Which, do you want to tell them what film we're doing first? Yes, you mentioned oh, I didn't book. even mention the name. <laughs> okay, you're, so you're not very good at this. I've noticed. They've clicked on the episode. They know what we're doing. So we're going to do the 2017 film, The Hippopotamus, uh, starring Roger Allen and quite a few big stars. And uh, as mm. I said, men, uh, based on a Stephen Fry novel. And we've actually got the director, not like you know the assistant director's cousin or whatever. We've got the director, <laughs> John Jenks, to join us today uh, for an interview. And, I know. Um, that's uh, impressive. If anything, yeah, happy with it. Twitter's a great thing. Yeah. Twitter is a great it is, thing. You, you get, you know, that's two in two years now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, however the interview ends up, uh, no matter how much he insults us or whatever he says, we're, we're yeah. already very grateful to, <laughs> yeah. to John, our friend of the show, John. Imagine, imagine if uh, you were like, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you. I'm great. I'm going to ask you some questions." You ask him a question, and I go, "Right." So when you made the shit film, <laughs> <laughs> Where why exactly did you make such a shit version? <laughs> Yeah. So, you make yeah. Lost in Lamanca look like uh, you know. <laughs> so this is this is why we're going to do this is why we're going to do the interview before Hughes views just on the off chance that he that I hated, hated it. it. But, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll um, find out, will we? Let's do. We've got we've got about fifteen. Imagine minutes. if I did actually <laughs> properly hate and I'm like and I'm really hostile. <laughs> he did say he's open to constructive criticism, so I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll even see if I didn't like that. it, I would just be I'd just probably say nothing and be like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, I watched it. <laughs> so listener, judge based on Hugh's performance in the interviews. Yeah. He's gonna so John's joining is about fifteen minutes here, so let's get let's get into Sam Sam Spam 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 Ham Sam Sam. What is the plot 
of the hippopotamus. So the hippopotamus, it's a dried up old poet called Ted Wallace. He's fired from his journalism job and he's um, assigned by his goddaughter to go and investigate happenings at Swafford Hall, home of an old friend of his and, and uh, a strange friend of his, um, because something is happening there. She's she's dying Potential of leukemia, miracles. the doctors say. But yeah, she says basically go there and just, I, I don't want to call your judgments, just tell me what you find. She pays him a hefty sum and he goes to Swafford Hall and it very quickly... So we're spoilerific, by the way, listener. You know, please yep. watch uh, the hippopotamus or at least read it. Uh, it's an excellent book. Um, as he gets there, he realizes that there's lots of guests appearing. They've all got their own strange needs and and ailments and disorders. Eventually, it's it seems to happen that they're all convinced that the young boy David, who's uh, Ted's godson, um, is a miracle worker, and he's cured Jane's a healer. Uh, a healer. He's cured Jane's leukemia. He's he's cured lots of things, and they're all there to be cured. And he's and Ted is there. He's the sort of atheistic, skeptical figure who's going to piss on everyone's bonfire. Um, but Jane thinks he's the perfect man for the job, partly because he's skeptical enough that if it, if he believes it, then she'll believe it even more. And partly because he has an in, uh, in a sense, with. Uh, Logan, uh, who runs the runs the gaff, played by Matthew Modine. So that, in in essence, is yeah. the plot. Thematically, it's kind of about belief and miracles, but it's also about poetry and hard work mm. and, and all kinds of stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into what I love. I think the biggest compliment I can pay this film is that this is genuinely one of my favourite novels, maybe top five, and um, had been for years before watching this film. As Stephen Fry always does, he made an audiobook for this in which he's perfect as Ted Wallace. You know, he really captures that character who he wrote, obviously. And so I always thought, I wonder if he, if the film hasn't come out yet because he's just waiting to be old enough to play him on screen, you know, to be old enough to be this jowly kind of acerbic, misanthropic poet. And I thought no one else can do it justice, mm. but Roger Allen did. And the greatest compliment I can pay is that when I watched this film, I enjoyed it. And I think if you absolutely love a novel and then you watch a film and you don't hate it, then I think that's a, you know going a off long the battle, isn't it? Sometimes it really is. It really is. Uh, part of the reason is because it's so faithful to the novel, uh, which when right. we get to critical response might not be always the best decision but it is so faithful to the novel uh, especially in terms of the language because you know Stephen Fry is a wordsmith and there's sort of paragraphs of this of verbatim from the book so memorable from the book especially when you've read it 15 times or whatever um, and Roger Holmes <laughs> perfect at that you know he's perfect as a world weary um, sceptic misanthrope you know the, the themes also either the themes or the sort of message chimes with me of how miracles and all that spirituality guff isn't real, but um, but there are in hard graft and honourable people, and essentially what it comes down to is David, who everyone thinks is a healer, is not. He's just a very sensitive child, but his brother Simon, who's a very sort of straight down the line uh, kind of rugger and horses kind of guy he's actually the, the miracle because he, because he's just so decent and he's so thorough, thoroughly good um, so for example practical, practical, yeah exactly, very practical and, and just a good guy and actually this, uh, from what I remember seeing somewhere or another, 
was sort of, in a sense, or uh, autobiographical in that Stephen Fry was portraying David as sort of him, as a kind of slightly odd, tearaway uh, dreamer. But he has a br- yeah. brother. So when he talks about things like, you know, Stephen Fry went to, not, not a prison, but like a sort of juvenile correctional facility for credit card fraud for a while, and all kinds of, you know, issues... He always said that I can't blame my parents on my upbringing because my brother is a very similar age to me, but he's grown up, he's basically a Simon as far as I can tell. And so it's almost like a love letter to his brother of, you know, this is a thoroughly decent guy who's just completely on the level and just so competent and all that sort of stuff. I mean, not really a spoiler from my point of view, but I very much felt that like uh, Ted's character was sort of almost like... um, Sort of Stephen Fry yeah. in like another life almost, if yeah. that makes sense. Like what I he think could maybe have David maybe is a young Stephen and Ted is an old um, Stephen. Oh, the two two sides yeah, of his character, you know. Yeah, and there is like you you see it throughout the film, don't you? There's um, one specific couple of scenes where you know it's it's clear what David David wants yeah. to become a poet like is his godfather and his godfather's kind of giving him exactly the, the he's, he's really he's really sort of teaching like. him what these poets meant and and so on and and to give the kind of young Stephen old Stephen parallel which I'd never really thought uh, explicitly I think a young Stephen was somebody who knew more than he understood you know read a lot and could bullshit even more than that but never really truly understood the value of hard work and then it was only when he knuckled down and got himself into Cambridge and then after that knuckled down and got himself into show business and, and all, all that sort of stuff he, there's a quote he really likes I think it's from Noel Coward or it's somebody which was work is more fun than fun and that really permeates a few of his works and and this one where he sort of says you know if you want gold you have to get into the you know get get into the ground and get your hands dirty and and work it's not going to be just carried to you by angels mm. you know because you prayed hard enough and i think david is pre that and ted yeah. is post that you know he's jaded and he understands the value of work and really turning turning blood into ink yeah yeah and he talks about it doesn't he at the beginning of the film okay sam so is there anything else that you like about this film um is there anything particular about it? You know, is it... Do you like how... It's a very... I think even though you've got Matthew Modine in there, it's a very English yeah, film, Yeah, it's country, country manners and so on. And I quite like that sort of stuff. Um, uh, the upstairs, downstairs, downstairs. Although I don't really like Downton Abbey, but like, yeah, like when it's done like it. in, in a Stephen Fry production, I, I really it. like it. <laughs> but yeah, I so I like popular. Peter's Friends and yeah. uh, I like um, Bright Young Things. Like yeah. Yeah, I like that, but I think it's it really is the use of language and the lines and the you know really just enjoying the silliness of things and uh, and so on, which as I say is, is lifted almost every line, especially from Ted verbatim from the book, and they're so eminently quotable and just a fun. It's in, you could watch this and you would know it's Stephen Fry because of of some of those things. But I'll keep it brief. Um, things that you might. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. What, what? Yeah, might what might what I not like, like about this I, film? I, what, I, what might I? I pick, don't think nitpick. you're going to come away thinking this is the best film ever. But I think a lot of the same things will chime with you. You're a skeptic like me, and I think you'll appreciate that side of things. Um, you like a good laugh, and I think you'll see some of the silliness in this and the. I think, you know, you, like me, love the thick of it and Peter Mannion, and he's sort of, he's like a pissed-off Peter Mannion the whole way through this. Yeah. And I think whatever you think of the rest of the film, I think you'll love Roger Allen's performance. Um, 
a couple, maybe something you would like. It is a, it's very jaunty and uh, sort of played to be lightweight sometimes in that some of the conversations they're having, it's got this sort of like comedic music bed in the background, which is kind of like, oh, this is a jaunty twee knockabout comedy kind of thing. And I think you might not like yeah. that. There's, a kind of, there's occasions where it gets a bit goofy, like a bit slapstick when he falls out of the boat. Uh, and there's a couple of occasions like that. And I think, oh, maybe... Maybe that might not be to your taste. Uh, I think you'd prefer more when he's telling people to fuck off or whatever. Uh, that might be more to your... <laughs> I mean, you know, I do like it when Roger <laughs> yeah. tells people to fuck off. It is quite funny. Uh, I'm not going to lie. But I, okay, I can see... Yeah, I can understand that. Maybe that could be something yeah, you can say so I, that thing. Aside from that, I, I mean, I can't think of a, you know, a crystallised specific this is obviously wrong with this film and should be improved. Um, but having said that, it's not it's not a film that I'd say is perfect and everyone's going to love it. But it might be that, especially if you've got a pre-existing relationship with the with the book, that you just uh, wouldn't love it. And I think it's quite twisty and turny. Um, it's possible the narration is is yeah. a problem. And it, like we said last week, you know, it's hard to do an adaptation of a novel, especially one with a kind of narrator that's a character without doing that because it's a you know he's the main character and he's on it and he can't tell the characters what he's there for he can tell us what he's there for and how he responds to things so it's possible the narration was irksome but i don't honestly think you worry about too much about narration unless it's really stupid because it's got some great lines in the narration so maybe you'll appreciate it for that anyway yeah, but I will. Yeah, I will leave it there. Enough, we are um, going to go for a little break. After the break, you won't hear Hugh's views yet. You're going to hear our interview with no. with the actual director, John Jenks. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then in and the then future, we'll, we'll hear Hugh's views. And, and we'll do the rest of the episode. So and, to look forward uh, to. Yeah, let's John see is how after that the goes, break. I guess. Hello and welcome back to Please Watch This. This is the exciting segment that, you know, you could have fast-forwarded the first part and, and fast-forwarded the end part. This is the exciting bit. We have John uh, with us today. John, welcome to Please Watch This. Thank you very much for having me How along. are you doing today? Good, yeah. it's. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm saying tonight, more like it's dark outside, but yeah, it's uh, all well in the world. Mm-hmm. No, summer's over now, isn't it? It's, it's, it's changed very quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's got really dark all of a sudden at like 8 I'm o'clock. sure last time we recorded it was still light at this point. I think it might have been. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on Please Watch This. Um, as we were discussing off air, the sort of format of the show, one of the, the real spark of influence as to why we started the show was to fill in the gaps in our movie viewing history. I'd never seen Empire Strikes Back. Hugh had never seen The Shining and Princess Bride and so on. Even though you're a filmmaker, there must be some gaps in your viewing history, John. Are there any gaps that you regularly, you, you know, you, you lie to people that you've seen this film, but you haven't, or you feel shame deep inside you about any films that you haven't seen? Are there any gaps? I mean, I, so I run a film club uh, amongst some friends of mine, and um, my best friend from university um, keeps telling me that she's going to ask for Legally Blonde and I keep telling her that I've seen it (laughs) because I don't want to watch it but I actually haven't seen it and it's only it's just been a pure ruse that I haven't um, well let's hope she doesn't listen to this this is is the got you 
this yeah. is the gotcha we were looking for. Oh, you yeah, know, this is going to be headline news the, tomorrow. Yeah, for her, at least. <laughs> Straight out the gate, you know. You, you guys said you weren't going to be top journalists, yeah. and you've nailed me. <laughs> yeah. We've got him red That's how they do the it. That's how Piers Morgan does the preamble. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you know what? You know, I thought that film had I, I should be sure you. It's a good film. It's not. <laughs> I don't think it is. I went to see it. I had to see it at I school. Think it is. We went to we went to, in year eight, we got we went on a trip to the cinema, right? For like a special Christmas <laughs> treat. To see thing. Legally Blonde. Yeah, they took us to see Legally Blonde. <laughs> and we didn't know we didn't know what film we were going to see. I thought we were off to go see the first Lord of the Rings film. I was well excited. And then you know, Legally Blonde. And now it's still being they're making a third one, I think, this year or something. They've actually yeah. made a third one. Surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Uh, so now, yeah. John, you're a you know you're a filmmaker. You made you made the film that we've got today. Uh, first obvious question, really, about the hippopotamus: How long did you have to spend filming up Roger Allen's taint in the bath? <laughs> um, the hard hitting questions, Sam. The hard hitting questions. That immediately <laughs> makes me jump to two stories. Um, so first oh, of yes. all, that scene was meant to be, you know, if you look at the film, like that's a really lovely bathroom. Mm. And that um, <laughs> was actually going to, when, when he, after he arrives at Swapit Hall and, and David's there and he says, I'm going to go for a bath. Mm. That's where that scene was meant to be, was him having right. a bath at Swapit Hall. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> and so that, that scene, we actually built that bathroom in, um, the, the family entrance hall to the house because it's a it's a it's called um west wickham park and it's just outside of london and it's uh, this amazing house and it's sort of it's like one of the first national trust houses and it's still lived in by the family and they live in half of it and and so that's the entrance to the the family entrance to the house um and we dressed up and put a bath in there and had water coming from everywhere and had to do steam and everything, all that kind of stuff. And we were discussing it in a pre-production meeting and we had this amazing French production designer. And we were talking about it and he was like, yes, I'm very worried though, because um, I can't remember what the name of the family was who lived there. The I mean, Wickhams, let's call them the Wickhams. <laughs> we have to be very careful because Lady Wickham's private entrance is a very sensitive area. <laughs> Some things are just lost in translation, aren't they? No, we just said, I was like, I just, everyone was discussing it. I just put it on my hand. I was like, wait, sorry. And we just have to scroll back a minute. Did you just say the entrance was a private sensitive area? <laughs> like, oh, so as you can imagine for this film, you know, people were always tripping themselves up with Google on time for us. Like you wouldn't believe like, Eventually, we just, you know, uh, Roger uh, Alam, who um, plays Ted, and I think Dave, um, Tommy Lawrence Knight, who plays David, and I, we, we would just sort of, and we just eventually just be like, no, you just go for the filth. Just like, just stop <laughs> trying to meander embrace around it. it. You've just got to <laughs> embrace all the like swearing and the fucking and yeah. the rah, 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 just get into it. 
Um, it's a great, it's a great film for it. You know, it is, <laughs> uh, it's full of that. It's absolutely full of that. Yeah. 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 That's so, good. That's, that was the better answer than I was expecting. That yeah. is, it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, was there not a bathroom available to film in? That's my question. <laughs> After, I'm guessing well, it was just you wanted... We were only allowed to film in the public, in the ah, National Trust parts of the house. Yeah. Um, and... big, big trust, Sam. <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it wouldn't, yeah, it, it wouldn't, uh, we couldn't get into the family bits that had sort of bathrooms in it. And we wanted yeah. something that was really ornate and amazing, and yeah, and literally we we sort of we stuck a bath in there, and then you know plumbed some taps into the bath, so it looked like some freestanding taps. Mm. But it, yeah, it was never that complicated. Mm. It's amazing that filmmaking the way you know. There'll, there'll be a scene just in in a nondescript room, and then on the director's commentary they say, they, "Of course, we had to build this house." And I think, <laughs> was there not a house? <laughs> you know, and it must be an absolute pain in the ass filmmaking it's like, because um, it's just never as straightforward. Is it, it was like when they made that. <laughs> is it the Matrix Reloaded? They built like an entire freeway, <laughs> highway, yeah. yeah, yeah, to to do the stunts for that. Then they, it was like three quarter mile or something ridiculous like God, that. Yeah. I can sort of understand that because like two thirds, three quarters of a mile. Yeah. I can understand that because they've got a lot of money and you can't really just shut down a, a motorway. But yeah, it's so often it's just like, uh, oh, we need a bath in a room. Okay, we have to put a bath in a room. I thought there was rooms with baths in them, but... Um, How do you think they get there, Sam? So what I might do is I might ask a normal question now. <laughs> um, kind of boring. You know, nothing to do with tents or double entendres, I'm afraid, and private areas. So what made you, what actually interested you in uh, directing uh, this film uh, based on the, the book by Stephen Fry, I guess? Did, were you familiar with the I book mean, I had a long history with this book. I yeah. um, I actually read it. Um, I was looking at going to film school in America, and mm. um, when I went travelling around visiting film schools, I stayed in a house, and it was on the bedside table. And I read the book um, in about you know it's a really quick read, um, and I read it over two nights. And I was laughing so hard, I woke up my sister in the bedroom <laughs> next door to me. Um, and I and I always loved it because there's something about the, um, I mean, the language in it is amazing. And, mm. you know, the themes in the, the book are slightly different from the film. Um, and we've shifted things, you know, people's nationality a bit. Um, and I really, it's, sorry, it's been ages since I've read the book, but I, I, I thought, okay, there's a, um, there's a, it's a detective story essentially. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's hard to tell that from the book because it's all done as letters. Right. Um, and you know, we, it's a kind of, Brits have been making detective country house detective movies forever yeah and so i realized that you could have a kind of um very simple structure that was exactly like a poirot or a you know agatha christie of some sort but then you could make it completely mental (laughs) Um, like a fast sort of thing well a bit like a fast but you, you know just like up the colors to like 200 percent like you mm. just you go crazy with all the dials on it yeah 
Um, and you switch a couple of things. So instead of murder, it's miracles. Um, yeah. And then you throw in all the sex stuff because we're British and, you know. <laughs> well, I spoke to a, a French woman about this and she said, no, Brits talk about sex all the time. You just think you don't talk about sex. But, you know, <laughs> everyone in Europe never talks about sex, but you Brits are always talking about sex. You're yeah, if we're going to make a murder mystery, someone's got to fuck a horse. Poirot never did that. But Brits did. Well, as you've read the book, you'll know that we go into far... I mean, what is it? How many pages is it in the book? Like it's three a, I mean, pages. The, of there's it. mention of Vaseline and, uh, you know, sensitive areas. It really is much more delicately portrayed in the film, I think. I mean, what did yeah. that have to go through? What actually happened there, John? What did you do and what did you pay somebody to do on camera <laughs> <laughs> for that scene? <laughs> so Tommy is an amazing kid. Well, he's probably, he's quite grown up. Um, so he must be in his late 20s now. Um, he, and he's from East London. I mean, he's not posh. So he's used to all. it. All. Um, well, no, I'm just saying all that is acting. You know, all that sort of <laughs> Lord of the Manor sort of slightly lost. It's really, it's a really good performance. Yeah. Um, and he was so, like, am I going to have to fuck an horse? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll do it, but, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm having a work with my agent afterwards. Right, let's get this horse. Well, no, so we did it, we did this like amazing we did a close set it was just me and the dop and uh sound in there and, and uh what they do with the close set is you film and then when i say cut the camera moves like pans down so that and looks at the ground where everyone resets whereas normally it just stays up and allows everything to go on um and he does the whole thing and he takes all his clothes off da, 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 da. he he um we do the shot where he stands by the horse. What's not in the film is him. I don't know if it's in the film, but he lifts up the tail. Oh, um, uh, I think it is. I'm sure that bit's in the film still. And then, and then we yeah, have another shot. Maybe he's just his hands. <laughs> Maybe well, he's just still holding it. Is he I holding the tail? In the, in the Amazon, but I think we got, we, that mm. bit, I think the lifting of the, and we also had a shot of the, of the horse going. <laughs> 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 what happens when we were shooting it is he lifted up the tail and I was like brilliant cut camera comes down and I just hear this voice go oh my god he's shot on my feet oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> oh it's a live horse then I'd see that was a I, I mean was, I won't, you won't catch me standing horse. behind a horse <laughs> <laughs> naked I <laughs> <laughs> did catch you doing that <laughs> he's as yet he's evaded uh, observation. Hugh has uh, he's very crafty when he gets into those situations. Um, so it's it's what what it really though. You just break it down shot by shot, and actually it's really chill because everyone knows exactly what they're doing, and you have to be really calm. with all of this kind of stuff. You know, the most ridiculous, salacious stuff is actually the most chilled out because you have to plan it really well. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the boring answer to give you that, but there <laughs> no, but it's a fair one because well. you know it, it wasn't his only scene like that. There wasn't a scene. I don't think it showed with Oliver, did it? Was there? Was there a no. uh, was there a decision there where 
I mean, was that a... Is that, is that, is that in the book? I, I must admit, I haven't read the book. It's not in Sam the book. Has. No, it's, um, um, Ted says something like, you know, only Oliver can tell you his, you know, his particular form of treatment with you, but I think yeah. it's very much assumed. Yeah. That, uh, in fact, he does admit, yeah, he Roger me at the arse, I think he says, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is another thing playing, you know, with the script compared to how the final film is. Mm. What in the original film, in the original script, you find out David shagged the horse halfway through. When yeah. after yeah, yeah. and in, so in the, in the and I think that's the same in the book. But like you, in the film, what would what as it was written was um, Michael and David, uh, Michael and Ted have that chat where Michael tells all. Ted goes off and gets pissed by himself, is all depressed. Um, you see David running outside, and then you see him shag the horse there, and that's not saved until later. Mm. Um, and um, so we, and so you, we also shot the shagging Jane bit afterwards when we added that back in. So we mm. built a like mini scene of seeing what he'd actually been up to. Yeah. Um, and I just felt with Oliver, it was easier. You didn't need to see it because he was there to defend it so strongly. Right. Um, yeah. and there, but there was a lot of argument between Matthew Modine and uh, who plays Michael and Tim McEnany, who plays Oliver, um, about what the method of cure um, was and Matthew was like oh you're kissing me on the mouth because it was a blowjob uh, like, whoa dude what the hell are you really into this I mean I suppose the heart is you know almost equidistant I suppose from his yeah, two options like, <laughs> but I think in the book it is more of a suppository than uh, you know yeah. uh, <laughs> very well put he's, he's a pro- prolific buggerist so, yes. You know. Yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah. maybe he didn't touch the sides, as he says. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just one of from the only, only sections where we really used um, lots of Stephen Fry's dialogue is, right. is from that um, that first dinner scene. Um, we, I mean, not by design did we step away from it, and we spent a lot of time trying to write dialogue that was up to his standard which I can tell you is not easy um, <laughs> but we yeah we spent it and but that really that section is the only section where we just took lots of it verbatim um, yeah. so total credit to the writers that um that that was put together so well yeah. um and so it sits so, because you, I know you said you you do a lot of production, were you involved from the very start with the production of this film, or oh did you, yeah, right, okay. So, so did you? I have my own company that I started with a couple of mates, and yeah. I when I got I did go to film school in America, and I think in about two thousand and seven we were sitting around and we so we'd started our company, we had a company going for like two years, and we just quit all our day jobs because we got some money together to actually run the company. And we were like, nice. okay, so what are we going to actually do? And <laughs> I said, I've got this book. 
I think we should do this. And they read it and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's letters. There's no actual action happening on the screen. It's all totally verbose. What's the story? You know, and then the horse shaking, and he's got magic steam. <laughs> <laughs> what? They, they wanted uh, action, you know. They wanted that, action. They that's got definitely it. action, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, the reason I asked for that, sorry, Sam, to interrupt, but no, was I was just wondering how, um, like, involved the right? Because obviously, if you were involved from the beginning, um, did you hire the writers then to come in and adapt the the, the book to a screenplay? Um, yeah, we had. We, had um, we started off with a a writer called Blanche McIntyre, who mm. is a um, theatre uh, director by trade, but mm. she really had the sense of lively jolliness. Yeah. That I think really, really works. And sort of, she brought, she managed to extract, I said, look, it's a detective story, you know, fill in the rest. Mm. Um, or, or run with that. I think she got that quite well. Um, and she really got the energy and she actually got the, the fry dialogue down really well. Um, and then we, but she's not a traditional scriptwriter. Mm. Um, and then we got a guy called Tom Hodgson a few years later who um, came and did some uh, work on it. And he really turned it into a script um, that was makeable. Um, yeah. And then I did a bit of writing on it and then we shot the film and then we got caught up in the edits a bit and um, the film at that stage had no voiceover. Right, all, right. Like, which so. you can't, like people just can't believe. And then... Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a film, um, you might not know this, John, but me and, me and Sam... We talk a lot about, for some reason, uh, voiceovers in films and how yeah. sometimes we feel like filmmakers use voiceovers as a crutch to lean on, that if their film's not as good as it could be, that it's like, oh, we need to add an extra layer of insight. And we just, um, the previous film we've just done on Sunday was uh, Angela's Ashes. Um, and that's got like quite a very specific voiceover that's very necessary for this for that film. And I thought with this, I was like, I knew me and Sam were going to have the voiceover conversation. So I was like, oh, well, this film clearly had to have the voiceover in from the very beginning because of how just wonderful the voiceover is in this film. Mm. And, and then, it seems so natural yeah. for a novel because you're in the you're in yeah. the writer's head, aren't you? I remember thinking for the final third of this film, and I watched it again today, trying to imagine that there wasn't this voiceover. So when mm. he, he reaches for the Macallan and smashes it and he says, I'm not about to kick the bucket, and I thought, I wonder if you could realise what he's realising then without him having said, kick the bucket. And he just says, fuck, and like, uh, and then figures it out. And I, it felt like a necessary step, I think, to stitch those two together. So is there a cut of this film with no voiceover at all? Or was that just an early draft? There is, no, there is a cut of the film with no voiceover. And it's in, like, I was... It's tough, you know, you, you try to separate what is your desire for the film and where you thought you were going. I, you know, I feel like the voiceover generally is very good. I think there's probably, watching it today, I was like, I, I think we could have got away without a bit there and a bit there and a bit there. We actually 
recorded a lot more mm. voiceover than we ended up using. Mm. Um, but Roger and I slightly deliberately sabotaged it because we didn't like it very much. <laughs> Fair enough. This is the second gotcha <laughs> of the interview. Um, You'll never work in this uh, industry again. <laughs> you're out of this town. What, Dumfries? <laughs> so there was, there were originally there was voiceover all over the search for David, you know, when, when he's gone mm, and hidden yeah. himself after the dinner. And yeah. there was voiceover all over that. And both of us thought, this just doesn't, why do you, you know, it's dramatic. You're chasing, you don't want, like, to be in his head going, you know. you. And I think that kind of shows because that sometimes when you're listening so hard, you stop looking at some of the quite intricate performance you get from Roger. Um, and I, I think... We did over, I think that does pull you back from kind of leaning into him as a character. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're really so engaged with someone, you're reading those little flicks in the eye. I mean, you, you can get that, of course, but you can get a bit lazy in terms of as a, as a member of the audience and not engage so strongly and not put your mind into that character so much if you're being given everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was watching it today, I was like, "Yeah, we could get rid of a bit of voiceover." And, and then, you know, it one of the reasons we moved that the horse shagging reveal from the middle to the, you know, almost the very end, is because um, everyone felt that um, you couldn't get so far if you're in the story in his head throughout the film you're hearing his innermost thoughts you um you can't have a film that gets so far ahead of what he knows yeah because it would just be weird if he's still giving a voiceover but there's a thing he doesn't know how does that feel as a member of yeah. the audience and that, that was it, quite it makes perfect sense because he is the he's our eyes and ears really there's not i can't imagine there's many scenes he's not in i mean off the top of my head i can't think of anything there's, there's all the ones with david floating around you know writing poetry but mm, you can true. totally yeah. imagine you know those are slightly stylized and you can imagine that those are what ted would be imagining david was doing yeah because yeah. he's yeah. read those poems you know or, he's, yeah. or he knows about that poetry and, and, yeah. and it is it would be too easy to fill in the gaps i think uh, of what must have happened to jane and what must have why oliver's so perky um, yeah. you know if, if you get that clue but yes yeah, it's, it's uh in terms of a detective and a murder mystery and so on it, it kind of solves them it's like an episode of columbo eventually essentially where you you've, <laughs> well, you've seen the murder in the first scene so i think the idea to have the horse in? bit nearer the end or have the like have the scenes you know the little montage of the horse and jane and mm. uh after you see him with um the what's the young girl called clara him? clara that's it mm. yeah and you see and you kind of that's when the penny as an audience member because i watched it today for the first time as an audience member that's when the penny drops and you're like wait yeah. he thinks he's got magic you know when he's having that conversation, with Roger, he thinks he's got magic cum. <laughs> <laughs> Who amongst us doesn't, Hugh? Who amongst us doesn't? At some point in our teenage years, <laughs> yeah. And so, then and you're like, the, yeah, sorry, no, God, the other reason why I really got into this the script because, like, I remember what it was like being a 15 year old boy, like, and Don't I was brought up in a really, really strict Catholic school <laughs> and you know, strict Catholic environment where. 
sex really wasn't talked about at all and not engaged with. And so, yeah. and, well, and also, I mean, you know, it was diseased in some way, you know, it was sinful. And therefore you were like, what is this thing that's going on with me? It doesn't feel so, oh, it must be magic. <laughs> you know, I, I can see how like, if it's not talked about and you've got like the physical sensation of it, that's amazing. And you're like, oh, and, and now I've come into myself and I'm feeling strong about myself. You know, it, it feel, felt like a boy who was left alone for an entire summer by himself. <laughs> who had a sort of slightly spiritual dimension going on in his head mm. and was like into eco stuff and things being pure and, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. And then was told by his dad that stuff was magic. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not completely... You can see how he could get there. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, and, and, I mean, you know, the he's fa- a sensitive boy. Yeah, the fact that you were talking about those things there just instantly brings out the Catholic guilt in me and <laughs> make made me feel uncomfortable. The, Sam, <laughs> the old Presbyterian there, he was like, "Fuck yeah, like the sex." <laughs> I did notice actually that it was a mass at the end. I did, I did notice that. <laughs> it's weird, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's a mass, but it's a it's a woman priest. Uh, oh, it um, is, so it yeah. doesn't yeah yeah, yeah nice nice mass, yeah we, we, yeah yeah we just yeah, t- get, with it. yeah one of the days one one day the catholic church will decide to have female priests <laughs> you know when we're long gone and dead no one cares <laughs> uh, it'll be the, it'll be the last it might thing be our do. funerals <laughs> <laughs> unlikely <laughs> yeah maybe a great 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 grandchildren's maybe um <laughs> Yeah, and so obviously you won't know this, uh, John, but Sam's a massive, and I mean borderline obsessive, Stephen Fry fan, uh, Mm. essentially. He really does love the guy. Um, So I suppose the question for yourself, John, is... What what did Stephen Fry think of this film? Because <laughs> you know you've you've almost got an audience of one there, haven't you? You've got mm. the, the one person who had an idea of what all this looks like in his head. He produced it. He said X, Y, and Z, and then you go, well, I'm going to kind of buy the rights off you to make this into a film. And you've got you know you go with you know his blessing, so to speak. Um, well, he he, it was really unnerving because he um, didn't we couldn't get anything out of him ever. We kept trying to ask him what we had scripts and stuff. And we kept asking him what he thought. And, you know, we kept, um, and he was weirdly absent. Um, and I was, I was sweating. I was like, what the hell is going on? And then <laughs> um, a family member of mine ended up having like being at a dinner party with him. Oh yeah. Weirdly or something. That's very Stephen um, Fry, isn't it? <laughs> and asked him, was like, what, you know, John really wants, to, you know, and he said, I, it's just really better that I don't get involved because I don't, I really want them to be able to go off and make their own film. And, you know, books are one thing and films are another. And I'm, you know, I'm pleased, yeah. I'm honored that, that, you know, they've done something that they want to turn into um, something that, uh, They've got something that I created that they like so much that they want to turn into something. But I really don't want to have anything to do with it because I don't want to crush what they're doing and make it different. I don't want it to turn it back into my book. It needs to be their film, which yeah. I think was very that, generous of them. That that's is very Stephen Fry. I've, I've seen that's very difficult. I can imagine them. that's very difficult to do as a human being. You've you've made yeah. something, and then yeah, someone goes and 
goes, oh, can we do that? But our way in... He's- he says I, in I conversation with uh, with with Mark Kermode, you can you can <laughs> yeah. find it on YouTube. Actually, he basically says oh, that yeah. you know when he's made a book, he's sent it out into the world, and then that's not his anymore. That's kind of that's done, and um, it's the only of his novels so far to my knowledge that's been um, adapted into a, into a film. You, you know, have you got your eyes on Stars Tennis Balls next, John, or no, Making I History? I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm actually I, I don't. The this is the thing from Stephen Fry that I like. I, I, I like. I've never watched an episode of QI. I've never read any of his other novels. Oh, I've watched quite a lot of Blackadder. Um, yeah. I've listened to Mythos, but I'm not a fry aficionado by, mm. by any stretch of the imagination. QI is good. <laughs> I've got two more stories about Fry and the, and the film, though. Yeah. Which so, so that was the lead, the lead up was he was like not around and it made me sweaty. Um, <laughs> and then the day he just he does turn up on so he gets invited to set but the day he turns up um, we we shoot the um, church service and then we also shoot a wake that doesn't end up getting in the film and it was the, we had 30 extra or 40 or something extras all day and they were a nightmare and we had to move between <laughs> two different like like and Stephen turns up and I was literally like trying to, it, it was the second last day and I was tearing the skin off my face in stress. <laughs> and he, and I couldn't like kind of completely lost the ability to speak. I just, I was so like <laughs> stressed out by the thing. And then he was sort of looming. I'm, I'm six foot four, but I think he's six, four and a half. He's got, you know, Everything's going wrong. Everyone has to direct. So I don't know how to speak. Stephen, what? Uh, <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been doing our job, and Stephen Fry turns up and then he falls Do you know if you've seen so the film? But then, I, then the last story is I we I took the film to LA to do a screening for buyers, and um, he turned up with his husband, and it was you know this very swanky LA screening room, um, and he goes down and sits at the front, and you know there are probably like it's this huge theatre, but only like fifteen people turn up. And there's lots of laughing, and I'm pleased. And a couple of mates of mine turn up, and we were sort of sitting in the back, and I was laughing. Um, and anyway, and then the film ends, and then everyone leaves, and he turns around and comes up and starts walking towards me. And he's, you know, he's about a mile away, it seems. He's in the front of the auditorium, and he walks up. And he does that very British thing where you think someone's about to give you a hug, when, and then suddenly at the last minute they shake your hand. <laughs> um, and then he said he just he just said very quietly he said i think it's i think it's really quite good it oh. might be better than the source material wow. oh yes so you ran out of the theater naked i think i'm not sure i believe it but i you oh, know it was nice an incredibly kind incredibly kind thing 
family. Yeah. Today. Is is that why uh, you decided to take a few years off directing because you thought oh, I don't want to jinx this. I don't want that. I've like <laughs> that's <laughs> as good as this could possibly get. Surely filmmaking. I've completed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done that. What's next? <laughs> so, yeah. Mr. Charles Dickens, what do you think of my version of all of the source material? <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you directing now Hamlet I assume <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Shakespeare's next <laughs> yeah um, so the next question I had Sam I don't know if you've got any but um, it was to do with like the cast and all that was there ever any like discussions of actually asking Stephen to star in it because obviously you know he can act and he he's very been... Ted Wallace age yeah he's yeah. very age appropriate and you know he could deliver all the lingo and the lines and so there um i think one of the films we were looking at that we really didn't want this to turn into was peter's friends yeah right. it was like a film yeah. from the mid 90s um, it's a film Stephen on Hughes and... to watch list. Yeah, I'm going to get Hughes yeah. to watch eventually. Yeah, Sam once brought it round and then forgot to put the DVD in the case, so I've still not seen it. <laughs> so that's why we haven't covered that film yet. And I think, you know, I, Stephen said, I think it was quite clear that he never wanted to be in it. Um, I was thinking of getting him to do a cameo as the priest at the end. I thought that would be quite right. funny. Yeah. Um, but that didn't come around either. I, from the get go, I want, and well, and you all, I also wanted someone who was believably a bastard. <laughs> um, and I think with Stephen, you would have always felt that, oh, there's the nice, generous, friendly Stephen Fry. You always could know that that kind of person could potentially have been in there whereas roger could genuinely have been a bastard um, <laughs> all the way through and it's you know and it's only right at the end that you realize that he's not the most awful person um, <laughs> so yeah it's not yeah i think that's why we didn't we didn't want steven for that reason and then and then roger i just he's the best so, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no one else in the world that could have played that role better. He really is made for it, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. It would, yeah, that's. Um... Although we did have to put him in a fat suit, I would just like to point out. And I think <laughs> Rosie would like me to point out that um, he, he said he had put, he'd lost quite, I mean, it took us like three years to get the film off the ground because we kept losing, we had different actors playing Michael and people would finance it for that and then they'd pull out. And then, um, so I've been speaking to Roger for about three years about it, and he kept losing weight. And I was Bastard. like, Jesus, he's like, no, 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 I need to lose weight for my health. And I was like, no. We just... <laughs> what about <laughs> your art? What about your art, Roger? What about your heart? What about your heart? And with, you say with Michael, so in the book, he's Hungarian. At what point was he switched to American right from the get-go, or was Matthew Modine a, a big part of that? Was that a, an early decision? Um, I... Because so in the book he's Hungarian, but it's there's a combination of um, um, he's a Hungarian Jew, and it's there's in the book there's a big theme about 
the fact that they've hidden the fact that they're Jewish and that these things yeah. disappear and then come up back up again. And I don't, I'm not Jewish, I'm, but I am half American. And so I slightly transformed that theme. I think there's this idea that if you're American, you, um, you make up who you are um, totally by yourself and you, you, you create mm. your own personality and you're like, I am this person and I'm going to go. But you talk about it all the time and you tell people <laughs> about it. And in that telling of it to people, you get bits knocked off you because people are always criticising you. So you get sort of shaped, even though you invent something and you, you invent your own psychology, you get that knocked off you by engaging with the world. Whereas in Britain... We kind of accept the psychology, but we don't really talk to any, but we don't really talk about our psychology. So it's kind of, you know, it's given to us and we kind of go along a far apart. And I thought, what would happen if you had the kind of confused combination of American and British in that he believes, David believes that he can make up his own story, whatever it is. But because yeah. he's British, he doesn't tell anyone about it. So it doesn't get, it never gets criticized and it never gets a bit knocked, knocked off it. So he just goes down this like path into complete madness all by himself. <laughs> so that's, that's why the American, the Hungarian American thing switched. And we got Matthew to um, kind of work on his accent quite a lot, knowing that we could always fudge it by saying he, he was half American. Yeah, um, and then that would play out. That would play yeah, out and there is way. that there is that whole thing of he's essentially kind of bought his way into the aristocracy and the lordship, and and those that is his identity now, regardless of his of his origins. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my my dad was an American, and my mother wasn't quite aristocratic, but she, you know, she was of a certain class, I guess. And um, he, my dad, sort of did kind of take on this kind of mad version of the um, American, like British aristocracy. Like he would wear like tweed suits in like mental like colours and anyway. Oh, <laughs> so, so you are David. I mean, you sort of hinted at it earlier. This is... <laughs> yeah. Have you ever fucked a horse? <laughs> <laughs> For medicinal purposes way, or <laughs> recreation? You've asked me that twice. The third time you asked me that. Uh, he'll answer it truthfully (laughs) three strikes and (laughs) yeah um so yeah um so yeah that so that brings me on to asking so what was it like working with you've got an amazing cast quite frankly like you've got you know obviously roger allen who um you know lives in my heart uh, from the thick of it quite frankly um and you've got fiona Fiona shaw yeah did you know fiona shaw's irish sam I didn't know that. No, she's no, got a really thick Irish accent. Yeah, I didn't even know either until oh, really? a few months ago. Yeah, I saw an interview. No, I read an interview in the Guardian with her, and then I had to Google what she actually sounded like in real life. And it's very. <laughs> she's always, you know, she's practically she's famous for always playing like this upper class English woman, and she's not at all. <laughs> Which wow. um, did she? That's a question. Did she speak in Irish with her Irish accent then, like normally, or and then she could just switch, or would she? Go right. I, have to... I'm not sure what I would say that she has a thick Irish accent. 
Fair enough. And then every day, maybe she was. Me- maybe she. Maybe she's method. Uh, maybe from the moment she met the director to the moment she left. She's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's actually Hungarian and Jewish, and you don't know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's like I'm off. I'm off to make this film. <laughs> That's what I imagine <laughs> Hungarian Jewish people sound like. I don't know. <laughs> So, but I mean, yeah, well, I mean, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant cast. Yeah. Um, they all, you know, I, and I, I can uh, genuinely say nothing bad about any of them. I mean, and there are little bits that they, there's loads of little bits of ad lib. Um, like Roger in that first scene in the theatre, those guys didn't learn their lines and <laughs> Roger knew the play. So he was, what? he just, he just started heckling them for the sake of it because he knew that <laughs> that's all real. Um, and wow. I was like, how the heck am I going to make this work? And Roger was just like ad-libbing it and just, um, and that's sorry. Yeah. My, actually one of my favorite stories from filming was we showed Roger the, um, the show with the shouting and the things and the guys coming out. <laughs> and I walk down to him and I say, so Roger, what do you think? He's like, I've been in this production. <laughs> <laughs> with Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone get punched in the dick by a, by a critic? <laughs> very, very different night. I, I mean, my, my question about that scene is, um, why do you hate the film 300? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Well, I haven't seen the film 300. There's another uh, one I haven't seen. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you just took well, the icon. <laughs> just took the icon. Yeah, yeah. You well, come on. Shakespeare with abs. Yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do three hundred for you, John. You can uh, you can come and do a full episode. Be a guest. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Not just a guest. Show. You can actually contribute and tell us what you think of the film three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a double yeah. header, legally blonde. Well, a triple header, yeah. legally blonde. One and one and two and three hundred. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair um, enough. Fair enough. That's interesting, actually. Uh, to be fair, I didn't, I just assumed you'd seen it, given how they're dressed. Although no, the Greeks like, aren't they? Titus Andronicus is. is Romans, isn't it? It's Romans. Yeah. It is, yeah. I just yeah. thought, you know, you get one of these modern productions where they try and update it and make it hip and that's what <laughs> they do. And, you know, and it would be the thing that Ted would hate the most. Yeah. We'd just be dicking around for the sake of it and people leaping about who just think it was nonsense. Yeah. Because um, that's what we, we, what we had to set him up was as someone who was a dick and drunk and behaving badly, but was fundamentally right yes. in, in his criticism. Because it yeah. was shit. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, is, what's the, yeah, how is it different to direct people to be bad? How does that work? You know, the, right, I want you to do this play, but this, we're going to make the worst play. We're going to make a really bad play because he needs to be right. So, well, no, so I cheated. And I got a friend to direct the play. <laughs> and right. I told him to make it awful. Um, okay. so I was going to say, if you, made it, if you told him to, to make it as good as it could be, that would be a, that'd be a diss. No, 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 no. So there was a complete separation between... It was a friend who um, worked at RADA. 
And I said, <laughs> can you make this the most like over the top, you know, on a limited budget? Um, <laughs> like really kind of milk it for all its kind of actory bollocks that you possibly can. <laughs> and they rehearsed it for two days and they, they put that together and I think they did a brilliant job. Yeah, it, it does. It tells you a lot, like you said, about um, Ted's character there, doesn't it? Where he's, um, you know, where he's 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 that smart that he can he knows the lines of the play off the top of his head. He just knows them because that's the kind of person he is. You know, that's his intellect on show there, and uh, you know he's giving out to them. He's he's feeding the lines rather than uh, the the person who's meant to do it, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I did like that scene. That was one of my favourite scenes actually. Um, yeah um he's sort of fearless because he's so over it you know and it, it yeah. does give him that sort of fearlessness up against this this massive man coming over to him <laughs> yeah and i would to, to be honest the, the scene played out differently to what i expected because usually in that situation obviously these guys start walking towards him who are all you know six foot whatever and built like brick house outhouses and he just <laughs> smacks him in the dick <laughs> usually those scenes end with, with the guy getting battered you know because he's his mouth has run you know has tried to cash a check that he can't actually you know <laughs> hasn't got the money for what so to speak um so yeah so i, I quite liked that part of it and I, I really liked the bit when he gets fired as well <laughs> that bit really made me laugh well, um, I hope he was i mean he, he really did us a kind one and came in and you know Mm. Um, just did it for a day and yeah it was great um, basically got harassed for a day <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd originally cast it as someone older and we mm. um, set him up we called him Paul Daycare <laughs> um, and you know had this kind of thing and then we thought actually no it would be much better if it was someone younger who mm. Ted could just sneer at my yeah. favourite so I mean, my my favourite line of the entire film, and I have to admit it's one that I wrote, so I'm totally biased, <laughs> is in that scene where Ted goes, I bet you never had a wank that wasn't focus group. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Someone going out and having the focus group a wank. <laughs> I like the bit that um, Russell says where he says about... Um, you may have been the great hope for British poetry once upon a forever ago. Like I really mm. like that once upon a forever yeah. ago line. Yeah. That's very yeah, it's, unusual. Like I liked it's that. It's a wonderfully articulate film. And yeah. And he's very good at like, he's just had his, you know, he's just been completely eviscerated, but yet he's actually able to bite back, which, um, yeah, yeah which I thought, which I thought was quite interesting actually. And that obviously sets up for the rest of the film which is uh, very good as well, obviously. One thing, though, I do must admit, like, is it, like obviously me and Sam, we do this podcast, and, you know, some of it is, like, actual, we try to do some real criticism and stuff like that of films and things like that. But I always feel it's very hollow when we've never actually made, like, anything real, like a real film, you know? Like, when you hear these great critics like Roger Ebert and, you know, Mark Kermode and stuff, and you're like, yes, but have you ever made an actual film and had it released? And I was, it's like, you know, there's a reason Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher are the pundits on, on, uh, on, you know, on Monday Night Football is because they've actually been there, done that, bought the t-shirt and stuff like yeah, that. Do you, so do, I, you find, do you find yourself being kinder to filmmakers when you're watching a film because you know it probably wasn't their fault somehow? I, you know, I think you can... I think you, you have to, 
I, so my first film that I ever made was a film called The Fold. And I think I got a review in Little White Lies mm. that said, I think it started with, this film is everything that's wrong with the British film industry. Oh, <laughs> and yet you made a and, second film. <laughs> and and since well then, <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always felt... I was like, it was like wound, okay, cauterized, fine. <laughs> you know something? That's, that, that was kind of my problem with Little White Lies in the end. I found them a bit too snooty. They are a bit, they were a bit snooty down there, I thought. On that part, well, I mean, podcast. I'm not sure if it's new. To, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I mean, was it everything that's wrong with the British film industry? Uh, <laughs> Did you agree? <laughs> I mean, quite possibly. It's a really. <laughs> I, I give that uh, that film. I fucked up. I, sh- I had no business making that film, and I shouldn't have. And um, I try and and get it behind me, Satan. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's funny because I, I think the professional um, critics, any any of the critics who are any good, know how to criticise the film and not the filmmaker. And they have no business yeah. criticising the filmmaker. But I think you can say, you know, this doesn't make sense for this or this is... Uh, and that's being critical of the film, and that's that's totally fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know. And I, 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 there are bits that I don't like about Hippopotamus, and you know, I give myself like a, you know, like a, well, like a B, basically. I think it's, you know, I think there are bits of it that don't quite work for me, and I, I, I feel like I'm missing out, and I, you know, I think. It's funny watching it today, having not watched it for about three years. And I was like, yeah, there, there's bits of it that I really admire. And, oh, look, you know, you're getting, like, once the story gets going and he really starts investigating, mm. the film kind of just goes. And you're, yeah. like, totally into it. But because of the way the film's structured, there's that bit at the beginning where he just doesn't know what he's doing. And I think that's quite, when he first gets to Swafford and she's like, just go and investigate. And he's like, uh, and I think for the audience, you also do a bit of sort of, uh, and it, it feels a little bit bang. You know, anyway, <laughs> they're just things I look at now and I think that's not great storytelling. I, I see that it has to be there for those kind of reasons and it's fun, but it doesn't quite have, it doesn't, it takes a little bit of time to warm up. So, yeah, and I, that's what I've been You're probably going to be the harshest critic of the film as well, aren't you? Because you, you remember it, you remember every decision that you made there. And, you know, what is it like watching a film that you made? Is it, are you watching the film or are you remembering that day? I'm not remembering the days anymore. I, that's, that's, oh, that's good. long gone. And I, you know, and it, there are bits of it that still, and they're weird. I can't even remember, but there are weird little bits of it. Mm. Oh, yeah, like the um, when they're in the boat reading the poem and he finishes mm. the cigarette and he flicks the cigarette and the duck goes oh, for that it. That bit's so funny. <laughs> I just, like, that I just, I always forget it's going to happen as well. It <laughs> and it, it was a complete mistake. 
Like we went <laughs> once, but someone had been sort of feeding the ducks between takes around the mm. side. Yeah. And they mm. thought the cigarette was something to feed it with. Because you really want to have the no, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. You want that at the end of your film, don't you? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apart that. from we one bird. Like, what a classic bird. <laughs> I really liked that bit. It was like, because it kind of sets the, it's in line with the tone of the film. So it really works. Mm. Yeah. I thought. And, 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 and he's like, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, play it, play it, just go with it. Yeah. yeah. Also, in 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 criticizing your own film, are there times when uh, it's not even that some you think that something was done wrong, just that you made a decision that another decision would be equally valid, but you you know in the mood that you are watching the film, you think, oh, I wish I'd have made that other decision, whether that's yeah. tonally or a character decision or, or something like that. You yeah. Know, so w- one thing that I really like about this film is that you've made it. Um, sort of jauntier and quirkier than the novel in many ways, you know, so whether it's little slapstick moments like him falling out of the boat or the sort of little incidental bed music when it's a sort of quirky comedy uh, escapade occasionally. I quite like that sort of light-hearted thing, but it's not really, that's not necessarily the novel, that's obviously a decision. Was that, how conscious was that to make this kind of, uh, yeah, jaunty? I think we were always using words like transgressive and fulsome and like fruit that had slightly gone off on the bat, like <laughs> like grapes that had fermented while they were still on the tree. Um, and the idea that everything was just a bit pissed, you know, and um, had just gotten out of control, like a party that had just gone on too long and where everyone just kind of, things start getting a bit weird Mm. but I think one of the other you know the other reasons that the voiceover was brought in was because people felt that it wasn't directly funny enough and that it needed to have another another extra layer of comedy on it and I think there is I think what you you do get I'm sort of saying you know extra jokes in the voiceover, but you lose some of the small little details of acting that were, that were also really funny. Mm. Um, so again, that's one of those decisions where maybe when you rewatch it, you you wish you'd gone for a different decision that was equally valid. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, the only real one I would say is maybe that there's a little bit too much voiceover in certain parts. And anyway, that I mean, I would I would love to see the edit with no voiceover to see how that compares, but as a, someone who loves the novel it, it would be missing out on so much because he is writing these letters to Jane and this is literally part of his yeah. story of yeah, yeah. you know it's yeah, him yeah. commenting on what he's seeing yeah what yeah. was it like having to uh, cast a young girl after the voiceover says she's uh, a plain looking yeah thing? A hunchback <laughs> and and then <laughs> no, you've got no, to show her being that. kind of yeah, yeah that must have been Shit, well Emma's amazing and yeah, I'm <laughs> in contact with well I got I walked into a coffee shop in London and she was uh, she was making coffee and she, I was like, oh, so like massive hug. She's brilliant. I <laughs> wow. Well, I suppose, are you sell it, do you sell it to her as, well, we need to look glamorous <laughs> once, but we need to uglify you before that. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. She, she just, everyone just lent into it. They're just like, okay, we're just doing it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and the blowjob scenes like, and her throwing up all over it. Like, <laughs> oh, there's loads. Yeah. If you were going to be squeamish about stuff, 
there was loads to be squeamish about. That seems um, very funny, actually, because <laughs> I didn't realise what had happened at first that he, she'd bit his knob. <laughs> something there's actually, there's a real. Oh, so, a, that's what I must have, mustn't have heard. I'd like it. to talk to the Foley artist. So I, I presume you know where where's that crunch from? Because that's <laughs> pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's funny with that scene. We so um, the second sort of public screening of the film was part of the London Film Festival. Mm. And we at uh, the London Comedy Film Festival. Sorry, not the London Film Festival. Um, they didn't want us anyway. Um, <laughs> the um, London Comedy Film Festival loved us, and we loved them, and all is love. Um, and we did a masterclass with the sweet. film um, <laughs> beforehand, and we showed that clip. Yeah, and it went down like a sack of shit. Like oh, yeah. it, oh, no. people, because out of context, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah underage yeah. girl giving someone a blowjob is showing a crime. You're showing a sex crime. Total like horrendous awfulness, <laughs> and it's really amazing the context of these things, you mm. know, and how incredibly important that is. Because it's quick, show you know, fucking a horse that'll solve it. <laughs> Out of context, hippopotamus. That, that scene with handle leads brilliant into the scene when he's getting grilled by the doctor, and mm. he, and he thinks he doesn't realise that she thinks it was him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very yeah. Funny. That's a very close scene to the to the book. And yeah, we, I imagine there's a there's yeah. a lovely limerick that he writes in the book, and we did have that in the film, but we couldn't quite. Was that um, the Costa scene? And her cunt was Mostessy. Is that is that the one? Oh, no, no, oh, no, no, no. The limerick with there about was her. Yeah. Ra- uh, Fraser with a glass surgical razor. If you, that's it. She says you'll chin something her, she'll save you the price of a razor. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's you'll, you'll yeah, sin. She'll stare at your chin. That's it. That's the one. Save you the price of a razor. Yeah. That's that is a wonderful scene. Mm. Um, green. She. I, so she's. An actress, well, she's actually someone I've known since we're about 14. So, oh, wow. hmm. about 15 years. No. Um, <laughs> and she's been in every, even if it's just her voice, she's been in every single one of my films, just as oh, right. Um See, when I saw her, I thought she looked so familiar. I don't know, I don't know who I was thinking of because uh, I don't recognize her IMDb too much, but she looks very familiar. She just yeah. seemed like a very versatile kind of actress that could be in just about Amazing. anything. She's, yeah. yeah. Just playing dead straight. Quite so Sam, you got any yeah. more questions? for? Yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask, so when we were discussing um, sort of organizing, organizing the, the episode, uh, I know that you said that you're a big uh fan of story plotting and, and so on so that's your mm. that's your bag baby as I <laughs> might put it i wanted to know as somebody who My hasn't Swedish really written much artist. myself but I've, um, I've i've read a lot of books on how to write and so on how do you feel about those kind of how to write save the cat kind of books are they sort of laughably reductive or do you follow those kind of you know whether it's a dan Harmon story uh, circle or anything like that is that the hero's journey uh, yeah. well my when I, when i read the hero's journey i decided that i was going to do the because there's also the writer's journey i think is a, right okay is a similar one and i just i said ah oh, the writer's journey to the fridge and back 
That's what it should have been some place because you're always like, oh, we have one. Oh, you know, what do I need new idea? Um, well, and then I guess I read, is it Brian McKeon's story or whatever that book is? Yeah. You know, just, yeah. He gets his Aristotle all wrong. When someone gets that Aristotle wrong, I mean, God, walking down the street, you're in the supermarket, and someone's there not knowing their Aristotle. That's, that's no fucking you know, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I want to play the flute. <laughs> um, got, this is the only book that I is that going to come up backwards. Invisible, Invisible Ink. Who's that by? Is the best book. Brian McDonald's oh, no. Practical oh, Guides no. Building Stories. Basically, oh, John, what Sam is saying is he's trying to get someone to convince him to start writing properly. <laughs> yeah. he spent what he spent, is, he spent the last um, as we speak. Invisible. There yeah. you go. You write on your phone. Whatever, whatever I'll be you here do. tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> he needs to convince um, himself to start writing. I need to do some right. proper actual writing. He's got the. Um, uh, I think that's the best book I've ever come across. It's really, really, really short. Um, so with the with the subtitle <laughs> of a practical guide, is is that literally kind of almost like a sort of beat sheet kind of thing of the no, this is no, what no, you no, need no, to no. do? It, or... it, what it, well, pretty much. He gave lectures to um, Pixar and that kind of stuff, and that you oh, know, right. really, and they are they are very very good at that sort of stuff. Aren't they're they? really really <laughs> good at, at structure. Um, yeah, this many years. Um, good at he, films, lads. If you've not uh, noticed, decent films. films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. one's called it's Toy one Story. His, Search it out. It's amazing things he does, and it is break down mm. um, the Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, and right. which I hope. I mean, are we going to get the Wizard of Oz? Has one of you not seen the Wizard of Oz? No, I've we've seen both. It. We've both we've seen both it. Seen yeah. It. So yeah. We'll, yeah. it's the great tragedy of our podcast. We can't yeah. cover some great films like that. Yeah. yeah right. Well, the in the Wizard of Oz, you know, you've got the cowardly lion. You've mm. got the scarecrow without a brain. And yes. You've got, um, the Iron oh no, this and the, yeah, that's but, right. Without the heart, yeah, yeah without the heart. But in the film, and they keep on going on about how they haven't got these things, but in the film, it's always the lion who does all the courageous stuff, the scarecrow who comes up with all the plans, and uh, the tin man who does all the emotional you know, baggage of holding everything. And it's, you know, this idea that, so, and, you know, if you put the psychology degree, but, like, everyone always has the thing that they think they need they just don't rec- what they need to do is recognize it and how to make yeah. you know and he breaks that down in a really clear brilliant constructive way and how that works with i mean his his idea of invisible ink is theme and he says you know you need your theme for the film and you just bring everything back to that and you keep driving that forward and i wish i'd read that slightly before um, uh, doing hippopotamus, because I think I would have been better at it. Um, I suppose the, the now, great thing I about the hippopotamus is that it does have those themes, whether it's the importance mm. of hard work over wish fulfilment and, um, you know, he poetry being... Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard when, when there's... Because a novel can explore three or four themes in really great depth a 90 minute film 
can maybe do one or two really i mean was there a juggling act there between well you know which theme are we going to go for above all else i suppose by ending yeah. with him I mean, saying, we had more in there and we took you know goes into the script we kept drilling it down um i really you know think in a film you can you know you can make people engage with a few characters you can make them feel maybe like three different things you can probably have yeah. three big up, ups and downs unless you're doing this between like two <laughs> you, well, we've just, like big <laughs> well we've just watched angela's yeah. ashes and that's basically okay. what that yeah, film yeah. is yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah here's a tiny bleak 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 <laughs> 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 and essentially if you want to work, you've got to make them think one thing you can't have yeah in, a, in like an hour and a half you can't really have more than one actual thought otherwise you'll lose mm. people yeah because um, five, five minutes in the best friend of the main character needs to tell them by the way this is what you need to sort your life out and then by the end of the film they sort their life out by getting that one thing or by realizing that they didn't really want the promotion what they wanted was to love themselves or whatever. And there's supposed to be a bit of that here, you know. There you go. That's uh, some James swan pitch for you, John. <laughs> there we go, yeah. so crazy because that was in an earlier draft of the soap and it was actually shot. The, the be- we started the film with Oliver in the pub. And oh, then wow, getting right. Pissed. And the yeah. first line of the film was a pissed Oliver saying to him, you're an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, and you need to the believe in miracles. The film, <laughs> when it was written, was him and Rebecca together, and him saying, "You're an arse." And so he knew his character arc was from arsehole to arse. <laughs> I mean, that's a redemption story if I've ever seen. Yeah, that's <laughs> growth we can all yeah. we can all relate yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's my job yeah. this year to turn from an arsehole into an arse. That's that's <laughs> that's. You know, that's an aim, isn't it? It's achievable it goals. <laughs> it's an achievable goal this year. Next year, God knows what. But yeah. I suppose, you know, as much as things like Save the Cat and having these formulas and things can be easily derided as uh, oversimplistic, that is kind of it. You know, you have this image, the opening image, and then the, the closing image is just a reverse of that, you know, or a, a kind of a coda. And, you know, these things that are quite... Uh, fundamental really um and yeah i did i was kind of looking for it the second time i watched this film this week because you have i suppose jane swan sets up the theme and tells him you need to believe in miracles and then he's toasting miracles at the end uh but really the miracles were the friends we made along the way (laughs) you know know, it was in it like you said it's in us all all along and and actually miracles isn't just wishing something is true but actually it's the the hard graft of a simon you know to to what extent did you because that was a sort of a big reveal a big moment uh in the novel and it is in the in the film i wondered if there was a a cut or a decision where was there a stage at which it wasn't because you don't come away from this film thinking Simon's actually sort of the main, not character, but our main idol, really. Was that ever a thought in the process of, we should make it that the big reveal is Simon's the god that we should all be aspiring towards? Yeah, I I think one of the really tangly bits of the book is... Um, in that, in that, you have the big, you know, you have his 
Poirot moment where he walks around the table and reveals everything. Yeah. Um, and in that, he reveals that... Um, and is in, in the book, doesn't he reveal that James died there and then? Isn't yeah, it? Michael says uh, to Oliver that I need to hear what Ted has to say right now because he's just had the call that she died and he needs to hear Ted saying it's not a miracle. And then he drops that, yeah. Yeah, because... So for me, I think you needed the emotional punch of Jane's death in the sort of telling of the story Mm. and the sort of time, you know, so that's why we wrote, we we kind of separated out that moment until later. And then, because otherwise there's just too much going on in that scene and you're just like, you get lost in everything. There's a lot of miracles um, to wrap up, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, I think it's good. I think it's in, it's it's structurally. I think it's in a good place, personally. Yeah, I think it's because it yeah, does. No, I, I think it works, and it was a yeah. It's a bit of a gut punch when it does happen, and yeah, I was. I upset. actually, <laughs> I actually, that that's the scene that came out as close to I imagined it as any of them, and I have to admit that I cried when I, we first shot that scene. I was so happy. I was just like. It's it's how I wanted it, and I just and Roger and um, oh my goodness, I've forgotten her name. Uh, uh, Rebecca, isn't it? Re- uh, Geraldine, Geraldine, um, Geraldine. Um, she's one of my jokes. So was, uh, uh, anyway, and they just looked at me and they were like, "Oh my god, are you really?" Crying? I was like, "Yes, so I've always wanted." That. <laughs> She'd really uh, in I mean, scene. that must feel, f- for an actor, that must feel better than well done, you know, if you're making the director uh, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, it's the tears of joy. <laughs> it could also be the so, worst criticism if you're making the director is it, cry. <laughs> uh, is it Geraldine Somerville? She's really good in that scene. That's right. That's right, right yeah. She so just tells him someone, to, f- what did she say, tell him to fuck off like three times or something like that? Yeah, fuck you. Mm. Fuck, yeah. That's it, yeah, fuck you, yeah. Um, yeah like, that she, grief sort of thing. You will notice that there is another film in which there is a young boy who is magic. And in our film, his <laughs> aunt is played by the Fiona Shaw. <laughs> and his mother is played by Geraldine. You oh, know, God. Yeah, she's yes. Lily Potter. Oh, my she's God. Lily Potter. Oh, is that Lily Potter? <laughs> oh, we pulled a switcheroo on it. We, uh, <laughs> we switched them around as a sort of... Slightly in joke to myself, it, you know. That's brilliant. Terry Patchett yeah. has this thing that he wrote about, saying that you you have to include jokes for yourself that no one else is ever going to get. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's, that, that is my that's my that's one. wonderful. God, I didn't God, even recognise her. To be fair, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's um, quality. Uh, any more for any more Sam then before we... do you have any any questions written down other than I suppose what what you're working on now you know are you promoting yeah. something or are you are you working on something you can tell us about John um I've just so last year was taken up with this I did this thing called the uncertain kingdom which was 20 we did 20 short films about uh the UK in 2019 thinking that 2019 was going to be the eventful year Hmm. <laughs> see that one biting us in the Welcome to September 10th, a notable day in the day. <laughs> 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 Didn't somebody make a, f- a film like that where they they did a specific day 
of like a year and they did it like all around the world and they focused on like yes, different parts. Very, very really? Yeah. That. Yeah. As well. When uh, was that made? That was, what was that like 10 years ago or something? Yeah. It was about the world in a day. Yeah. That was it. Uh, yeah. I never saw it. I don't, I don't know. know. YouTube. Um, no. um, so that's been fun and we, you know, that's available um, on Amazon and iTunes, etc. And they're, they're really good short films and they have a really sort of broad, um, so it was 20 shot. Did you say what was that called? Uncertain Kingdom? The Uncertain Kingdom. Um, right, okay. So, and that's, yeah. Um, and then that's been my producing work. There's another film that I'm producing, which I'm not allowed to talk about. But if you go and mm-hmm. look up, um, you might be able to find out what it is. But I'm absolutely sworn to secrecy. Fair enough. Um, Except that you told it. us we can find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is another Harry Potter film. <laughs> Fiona Shaw plays his mother. <laughs> so it's fine. When we start recording, we'll we'll probe him for information. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a big, it's a big uh, superhero movie from the nineties. Is it that film yeah. that Shaq was in? we'll figure it out um, um so and so that's been taking up an awful lot of amount of my life um but it's getting somewhere um then i'm yeah i'm getting back to my directing career um i'm really trying to work on that um i've got a lovely little um contained horror film about a musician Ooh. going mad, um, doing an album that's, um, he's one of those sort of sampling, he samples the sounds around him, mm. and he's sampling the um, sounds of his unborn baby growing inside his girlfriend's Wait a minute, just all those Ooh. a bit crazy. Well, that is, that is right. Feel, it feels a bit like a sort of Polanski apartment trilogy, you know, film. Yeah. Um, and How are you along the process on that one? Um, I'm supposed to have a script, my script writing friend. Listen, I charge almost no money at all. So you know, if, you, if, you need, <laughs> if you need an experience, you just keep doctor, him, Let me know. If you keep him in Foster's, I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> or even Galahad, you know, the little uh, person. <laughs> <of mind. laughs> Um, mm. And then there's a bit more, there's another film I've been working on for a bit called May We Bring Hope, um, which is kind of social satire, but it's about a um, manufacturing cooperative that kind of gets eaten from the inside by a multi-level marketing company that produces productivity pills. And it's, <laughs> kind of, it's like a real kind of horror, social horror and like, yeah, it just goes really. That sounds interesting. Badly. Lots of irons really in the fire, then. Yeah, yeah. No, I keep, keep myself quite busy. Still manage to get into quite a lot of trouble, but do. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that so, yeah, no, we keep plodding on. Well, we look but, forward um, to yeah. seeing those projects and getting you on many more times for these, uh, <laughs> for these various, various projects. What, fil- what film was it that he said he hadn't seen? 300. 
yeah we'll get we'll get a, we'll get an actual director to watch a, a Zack Snyder film <laughs> <laughs> you should probably I should probably like live stream it as like my react don't they yeah. do that reaction videos <laughs> yeah you just do a sped up but like Shrink it down for like <laughs> two minutes long, and then you just go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's it's to, be, to be fair. I actually quite like Three Hundred. Some some of his films, he he goes off in a mm. direction I can't follow. But um, <laughs> there's a couple of them that he does, and I I, I enjoy. I really, I He's really wanted visual. to like sucker sucker punch. Like I never watched so, that. There's I heard it was of bad. Sucker punch that are brilliant, and then so much of it's destroyed. <laughs> See, I'm one of these people who actually quite likes Watchmen, and I know that a lot of people hate that. But I go think on. they did an, the ending. I think the ending in Watchmen is better than the comic book ending. It's different, I think. It, but it, they both. I think it makes more sense that it's um, Doctor Manhattan's energy. It makes more sense for the for, yeah. It just. It, I was like, oh right, that's yeah. I get it. But I have to what say, what did you I, think of the series? I, that was really good. It was, was really, I was really, really, really good. Um, who wrote that? I think it's someone who was. I can't remember who like was involved, like the showrunner. But it's somebody who's had a bit of a sketchy track record. Um, you know, they nailed that one. They did, yeah. But they said they weren't going to do. Um, he said he wasn't going to do a second series. So if they were going to make a second series, he's not going to be involved. He said, "I can't remember who the who was that." That's um, oh, no, it's, no, I can't. Oh, is it? Oh, he's on the same the guy did Legion. Uh, was it? This, was it that guy? Hang on, I'll tell uh, you. I'll tell you exactly. I watched the first series of Legion. By the way, Legion was very good. I never watched the second one though. I never got around. The to first it. season is yeah. amazing. The second season is weird and occasionally interesting and I think the third series is um, Marvel does jazz. That'd be interesting. <laughs> oh, what's, uh, oh, it's just giving me the writers. It's not giving me the... Damon Lindelof, that's it. That's who I'm... Oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, of yeah. Uh, Lost fame. Obviously, what happened, yeah, obviously mm. what happened with Lost, you know, that was great for a couple of series and then really went by the by, but um, yeah, no, he did a really great job on Watchmen. And I, th- I think it, the only thing that does, the only criticism I had of that Watchmen show was, I think it, it doesn't really matter, but I think obviously because you see like Dr. Manhattan, sorry, Sam, this is a minor spoiler. If you ever go watch it, it is a great show. Um, but they use like Dr. Manhattan was clearly a white guy who grew up and, became Dr. Manhattan in the forties, but you could tell they were using the actor from behind and stuff to show him. And I think maybe they could have used a different actor when he was actually Dr. Manhattan rather than um, the, yeah, okay. the actor who they had playing. Um, mm. Who's, you know, uh, that Yahya Abdul-Mateen in it. It was a great actor and he's, he's brilliant. He's good in, he's going to be in the new matrix film as Morpheus, I think, or some form yeah, of Morpheus. He- but yeah, I think they could have, like it makes sense that he would, as Doctor Manhattan, would become that man for that woman. But I think they should have yeah. used. He shouldn't. Diff- he should have been someone else before yeah. he became that man. Yeah, if yeah, that, no, makes, that sense. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or they could have just changed, and it, because it's not because it's not a sequel to the the Zack Snyder yeah. film. It's a different. It's a sequel to the comic Watchmen, essentially. Yeah. And I, yeah, but um, 
yeah, I loved all the stuff with um, Jeremy Irons doing um, doing um, what's his the, uh, what's his face? Um, yeah, Ozymandias. Yeah, he was brilliant, and that's kind of how I imagine what Ozymandias would look in his in his sixties, yeah. you know, or seventies. You know, he still look because like Jeremy Irons looks great. It's <laughs> like the fact yeah. he smokes like a trooper or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the that's how I'd imagine Ozymandias being and that kind of that awfulness that he is. But yeah, yeah and I quite liked. Yeah, it was just a good show. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Sam. I know you've not seen it, so. So speaking of the, uh, the Matrix, what do you guys think of the, the good new trailer. trailer? Good trailer. I've been, avoid, I've been avoiding it. I've been avoiding it. Yeah, Sam doesn't like to watch trailers, you see, um, yeah. which is a good thing. Oh, I, I, feel like knowing, I feel my... like knowing the title of the film is a spoiler. I just don't like knowing anything about the <laughs> film before seeing it. Okay, then I won't give, because I, yeah, there's a spoiler that I think I've spotted in it. So oh, I, go on. Go on I, I, have, I have listened to people speculating about it, so I'm, I'm, I'm open to... Okay, so to... the original Matrix film is showing on a screen in the background right. of the trailer. Is it? Mm. Which, so which the, bit? The fight with Seraph um, or something like that? I can't remember what it yeah, is. Yeah, so no. the film exists in the world... The original film exists in the world of the new film. Right. Which is quite interesting. As maybe um, a way to put people off the idea that they're in the Matrix, because as soon as you say, one thing I, the one thing I always found I really liked about the Matrix, and it's just a subtle thing that they show in the first one, is when um, Thomas Anderson, when he's being inter- just as he's about to get interrogated by the the agents, you see mm-hmm. him on the screens, and yeah. they're the same screens then that the architect has at the um, uh, in Matrix. Uh, Matrix Reloaded. Um, I think it'll be fine. I, I don't think it. I don't think it's going to have the impact that the Matrix had because the Matrix there's, there's came out no a very specific as, as good. Yeah, but what, unless you know, they've got me. a new bullet time, unless they've got something visual, <laughs> yeah. like that, that we're all just going to sit there and go, "What the actual fuck?" But yeah. what's like, what's yeah. what's your opinion on these potential? Well, not potential. They're being made. All these Avatar sequels that James Cameron's making. Um, I yeah, I'll go and see them if they're any good. Yeah, because because uh, yeah. he's a very <laughs> yeah. you know he's a envelope pushing filmmaker in terms of his yeah. his visuals mm. and you know he's like you know like let's be honest his stories are never um, you know they're pretty. Or the pretty ordinary. There's nothing, yeah, you know. You know, I yeah, yeah. Straightforward is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, you know, I always joke and say that uh, Avatar was dancing with wolves with blue people, <laughs> essentially, because yeah. that's what it is. Pocahontas with blue people. Yeah, yeah. I always think them? it should have been guys from uh, an old guy from your part of the. Um, <laughs> Britain handing out cigarettes to underage people. He's going here, yeah, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Avatar 2. I think that's the second that's the sequel. Yeah, Jeffrey Boycott. Avatar. Jeffrey Boycott. I told you, here's some exactly. cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's gonna be interesting whatever he, he's made. I think it's gonna be one of those, and this is what I think kind of with the Matrix is I think it's going to be it, whether it's amazing is another matter, but I think it's still going to be good. But Lawrence Fishburne said he's not in it. Now, whether that's a misdirect, I'm not 100% sure. I think if he was in it, they may have made more of it. So, 
Yeah, I, I, there's a million theories. We don't know. I thought that trailer gave away a lot, actually, for what it was. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like you've not learned a great deal because there's so many like avenues you can go down with the Matrix. It can be, well, is this the first Matrix that they're in? Obviously, you said you saw the Matrix being played in the background. So is this... I think a lot of the colour palette I noticed was the same oh, yeah. as the one that they use right at the end of the Matrix um, when the architect and the little girl and the Oracle are all stood talking in the park. Like, cause if you notice they, they basically the green filter goes off the, yeah, yeah. goes off the film at that point uh, when Smith's defeated and that palette seems to have stayed. So I don't know if that's significant because that seems to be significant. Obviously their famous thing was that when they were in the matrix, everything was green <laughs> and yeah. you only notice it once you're out, which is a good little filmmaker. What do you think to stuff like that? Like as a filmmaker, do you, you know, when it comes to these little visual I, clues? My favorite one of all time is a really subtle one in Kill Bill. Okay. And they're driving cops driving along and you're in his POV and he just takes his sunglasses off and they change the grade as he oh, takes great. his sunglasses off. Be- just- is that at the beginning of the film when they're going to when he's going to the- is it when he's going to No, it's when they're going after she's been shot, maybe in uh, the right, okay. something like that. Like yeah. anyway, it's just it's an in like it's a, a throwaway joke and it's just great. And he has all his sunglasses on the dash. He takes them off and the, and the grade changes. That's clever. And I, just, just... I just love it. It's just so stupid and simple. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, you know, he's a great filmmaker. It's Tarantino, quite frankly. I like the Kill Bill films. I actually wrote, um, <laughs> I wrote an essay about it in school because I did, I did media studies <laughs> when I was like for A level. So, and yeah. he won't stop telling us about yeah, it. Oh, he's, yeah. That's he's as qualified as you, John. I'm more qualified than Sam. <laughs> that's what he thinks. <laughs> Essentially, is how I look at this. No, he thinks he's as qualified as you are, you are John. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Uh, yeah. A levels, yeah. media studies. Yeah. Because yeah. I actually had to try and make a film <laughs> for school. <laughs> well, actually, we made a sitcom. It was very funny. But um, sure sure I, do you know was. something I really like about that film is they do a over the head shot when he's, she's walking through the club and it's, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. just, it's just one of these things where it's like, you, why the camera doesn't need to do that, but it does it anyway. It's one of these really strange, like almost unnecessary shots, but it's just, I always like stuff like that. I always like it when you see a director put their sort of slant on things and I think that's always because there's, you know, a, a lot of directors come from lots of television stuff where they're kind of, they have to direct to a, a standard. They're expected to direct in a specific way because that's the tone of that, that show. And then when they're given films of their own, sometimes they don't really express themselves maybe with the camera, but that's what I noticed. Maybe, maybe they, they express themselves in a million other ways that I haven't even noticed. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 what, that's what I thought about watching Hippopotamus today. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of quite static stuff here and there's a lot mm. of people talking at each other and there, it isn't a very expressive camera. I think if I made the film again today, that's probably one of the things I'd really focus on mm. improving is, is getting a bit more of that dynamism going because it's really, it's really yeah. quite static. Um, there are some nice sort of... Locked off shots that you know have nice things going on in them and things develop, but 
like in terms of camera movement, I don't think it was. Uh... Um, You've been very generous with your time, John. It's been an indeed. absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah. And uh, we, we, um, I mean, you don't necessarily have to agree to this, but in my head, you've agreed to it already. You've, you've <laughs> got to come back on uh, in the future when we've when you've made. Do you legally know, blonde. <laughs> I just do legally blonde, or maybe when you've made the the, yeah. the films you work. That's, in that's what we need, Sam. We need a tame filmmaker so we can st- <laughs> you can just tell us all the bullshit that we're talking and. You think I'm tame? <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Cool, but yeah, it's been a pleasure, John. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, nice talking to you. Take care, John. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Hello, and welcome back. We're now at the other side of that fantastic interview. What a what a fella. What a gentleman. He Lovely is. man, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Very, very great interview. Great, great. Uh, just, just interesting. I just, I like getting filmmakers on the show, as you know. I like yeah. to hear. I like to, you know, I like to know how the sausage is made in this regard. Um, <laughs> that was that know. was wonderful. And and John, you know, if you're listening, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time. You, yes. As we know from the number of projects you're working on, you're a, a very busy man. Uh, so yeah. yeah, a million thank yous. We're now going to get into Hugh's views now. Hugh, I don't want you, your your view of the film to be too uh, coloured by how lovely that was and how insightful <laughs> and so on that was hopefully you don't hate the film right now what I want to know is Hugh's views what did you like about 2017's The Well before we spoke to the director I really like this film but now now I hate it now I'm joking <laughs> no um, so what did I like about this film uh, yeah the, it's a really great script it's a really we spoke about it uh, in the in the interview it's very it's, it's almost lyrical at times and mm-hmm. I, I, you know I imagine a lot of that's to do with, with Stephen Fry as well in his novelization his novel not novelization his, <laughs> his novel novelization of the film, film Hippopotamus yeah he's novelized <laughs> it yeah his novel um, but you know as um, uh, John said it was a lot of um, you know there was it, it went through a few hands as well for the writing um, so they've they've all you know the, the the old joke is nothing nothing great ever gets written by committee. Mm. but in this case a few people have worked on it and written stuff and yeah I just I really liked that aspect to it and um, I said before in York when you were telling about us what you liked about it it's a very English film there's Mm. a very there's an Englishness to this that um, yeah I I, I quite enjoy that sometimes I think it's quite interesting because it's it you know this isn't I don't feel like this is a film that would be overly successful in other countries quite frankly mm. not because it's a bad film because it's clearly a good film but I just there's a there's like a there's a bit of Richard Curtis to it I think well you I mean but then again Downton Abbey and Richard Curtis films they're very successful well yeah that's it's their fair. view of England isn't it I suppose yeah like, yeah you could in fact you could be right yeah it could be it's that sort of idealised idea of England isn't it yeah that's, maybe it would sell even get. better than <laughs> people just do nothing yeah yeah, so, yeah, I really like that. Um, I, you know, the cast is, Roger Allen's just amazing in it. He's so watchable. I didn't yeah. realise just how good he was, actually, until I watched this film. I knew he was good from the thick of it, but he's not, even though he's He, sh- he shares the, scenes with Peter Capaldi and people who yeah. are also excellent at that thing, yeah. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's in, it's a, it's an ensemble piece where he is the star of this, and it's and it's a shame that he's not, 
the star of more stuff almost because yeah. he is brilliant at, as John said at being that bastard you know yeah. what I mean yeah, yeah. well we talked about actually enough, we talked about um, The Matrix and the Wachowskis made Speed Racer and he apparently played the villain in that um, and thought at the time, ah, this is it. I'm going to break Hollywood, and I'm going to be a villain. In, in I'm going to be a Bond villain, basically. And he's well suited to that. It just never quite happened because Speed Racer wasn't the success that maybe he hoped yeah. it was going to be. Yeah, and he was, um, you know, he plays the is it Prothero or something? I think in V for Vendetta is that the character? That's right. Name? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and he's wonderful. In Although that I haven't well. seen it actually, but I did know he's in that. Yeah, that's on my list. Oh, right. Oh, we definitely need to watch that mm. soon. I've seen some scenes, but not the whole thing. I think it's like, I think that film's set in the future when the film and, came out. And I Stephen think, Fry's in it. Yes, he is. He plays... Um, and Hugo Graham. Weaving's in it. I mean, the, it's all yes. connected. It's all part it's of the all Matrix. It's all connected. We're all in the <laughs> Matrix. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting to see. It was it, like, you know, we spoke about being a, a mystery a murder mystery mm. sort of thing and you know it is and it is it's a it's 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 a miracle mystery if you if you will and it was interesting because obviously i know stephen fry's thoughts on god and religion for mm. him to investigate something like miracles and for you know these characters to all think that something tremendous has happened and that this you know this boy can heal them and stuff like that and um yeah, I kind of like that. And I was like, where, where's this going to go? I was interested to see where it was going to go. And I, I, you know, I had the sneaking suspicion that it was going to be, that it was all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As you do. Um, but I just like the way it went there, you know, and then you've, and like I said in the interview, when the penny drops that you realise that, oh, this kid's just a very sensitive young man who wants to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> a sensitive, and, repressed young man. Yep, yeah, and he's willing to shag anything because he thinks he's seed is special <laughs> again you get, who amongst us hasn't thought that yeah and like yeah it's, and you know there is like and it is and a good a good film does shock you a little bit in terms of like things that happen in it when um you know when you when <laughs> Roger Allen's character finds finds him after following him, him and um, the young girl into the woods, and then he's just getting a blowjob off her because <laughs> she's like, "My seed will make you beautiful," <laughs> what a mum wants basically. Um, and then obviously the montage with the horse and things like that, um, really funny. Um, I was kind of half expecting to see a shot where you know Tim McElhenney is like. <laughs> bumming him basically <laughs> you know a bit like a horse shot but it was fine that it wasn't there you you you, you got the picture in your head you didn't need mm-hmm. to you didn't need mm-hmm. to, you don't always need to see it do you you know it mm-hmm. was in that case it was uh, tell don't show um yeah uh, and it is it's a funny film like it did pass the old classic kermode six last test um it got it uh, you know it's it's not laugh a minute but it it, it does the humor and it keeps it going it keeps it going, quite frankly, which is good because some comedies can lose the humour as they go along, mm. and mm. this kind of when it... as the plot thickens, the the jokes go away. Yeah, 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 and and it's a sad film at the end when Jane dies. Like that yeah. really was a bit of a a gut punch that you weren't expecting. Um, so yeah, so that got me. That you know, like I said, uh, not expecting. I don't know. I suppose you knew she find you know she's ill at that point, don't you? But. Yeah, I don't. I did. Yeah, um, and you know, there's not they, really they did miracles. say, "Oh, she's in remission." So I maybe just assumed she was, she was in remission because, but maybe mm, true. 
yeah, remissions occur. So as we intimated in the interview in the in the novel, not that I want to keep making that comparison, um, Michael yeah. gets a phone call just before that that dinner scene and then everyone's shouting at Ted saying how can you not believe in miracles Oliver's going off on one and, and Michael shuts him down and says basically shut up I need to hear what Ted says and then he says that on the phone earlier that was the hospital I'm really sorry Rebecca but it was Jane and it was sort of like that's the gut punch moment of the, the novel but I think you're right and I think John's right it's better as a secondary scene because all the other yeah. miracles are being wrapped up in that dinner yeah, it, it is makes more sense. emotive to have it separate. Um, to that, I mean, you it? could you could maybe nitpick and go, well, wouldn't the hospital phone his her mother <laughs> like on her mobile? Why is and that's kind of maybe a point of the fact that you know the novel was written in the mid nineties and people and people would just answer phones and true. give bad yeah true you know like um, it would be sent that's, to the uh, house. Dylan Moran yeah. says that like you know mobile phones are ruining things like that and he's like Mary's dead <laughs> you know and that's you know you could slam the phone down where with this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I wasn't expecting the sadness uh, at the summertime sometimes <laughs> sadness of Jane's death. Um, yeah, overall <laughs> it's a solid solid film, funnier than expected. The voiceover work in it is some of the best narration of a film I think I've seen in a film. I can't, I'm trying to think like, <laughs> it, it's right up yeah. there with like the Shawshank Redemption in terms of its iconic voiceovering. Like it's interesting, you yeah. know, we had Angela's Ashes on oh, last wow. week and that that to me was a solid voiceover work, you know, or narration of this of this story and then you do this and you're just like, yeah. the, the lines the character comes out with are just amazing. You know, when he's in the voiceover, and a couple of them are in my favourite lines bit that I'm going to go into later. So I'm not going to spoil them here. Um, there are so many lines, it's almost hard to appreciate because yeah. I'd heard them so many times how fresh and interesting and, and inventive and the swearing and the, you know, feeling yeah, 12 yeah. types of dick yeah. and all that sort um, of stuff. It is in terms very of what Stephen I didn't Fry, like, you know. Not a lot, really. There was not a lot to criticise. It seems, like I said, solid film, solid comedy, good cast well cast um, Roger Allen like I said he's very very watchable as this character um, there's n- nothing I can't I mean do, what did you say beforehand as like criticisms I might have had oh well I thought potentially the use of narration could be a problem obviously that wasn't and then it maybe was a bit too jaunty a little bit lightweight uh, sometimes no but that's the tone yeah. of the film I feel and I think it, that tone and then it works you do feel something when Jane dies yeah. because of the tone you don't you don't you wouldn't feel that if it was a bleak and miserable film, do you know what I mean? Or if it wasn't, oh, I don't know, other tone you would do with it. Like, it it sets its tone out in a way that you understand it's a comedy. It's yeah. not, like, you could have, like, um, you could have made this, like, a, a miracle mystery film, so to speak, and had it a lot more serious and had this narrator who was, you know, making jokes, but then he's talking about, Different things, or because it's, it's very dark. Make it... Really, when you when you if you were to explain to somebody what happens in it, they wouldn't go, "Oh, that's obviously a knockabout ninety minute comedy." No, no. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, a boy gets buggered. I'm pretty sure the boy buggers the man. Gets... Actually, oh, sorry, a man buggers a boy. <laughs> a, bu- a boy buggers a man, uh, and a, g- a dying girl is. Shagged as well, uh, and a horse is also Very shagged, much. and uh, a young girl who is manipulated into giving mm. a blowjob as well. So there's a lot of lots of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly. Um, 
and maybe yeah I, I, the only the only thing I wrote down here really was um and maybe it's just me being slack you know like sometimes you don't notice mm. these things until someone points them out until you watch it again I'm not entirely sure why it's called the hippopotamus oh yeah I, so he's the I'm hippopotamus sure it, Ted Wallace yeah I, f- I so and it, it, it has it at the very start of the film and I'm opening the novel as we speak the sort yeah. of foreword is uh, a yeah. quote from the poem The Hippopotamus by T.S. Eliot which is the broad-backed yeah. hippopotamus rests on his belly in the mud although he seems so firm to us he is merely flesh and blood and yeah, uh, and um, Oliver refers to Ted as the hippopotamus yeah, so yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and I thought, and I thought, was that something to do with one of these creatures that's a bit lumbering on land, but once they're in the water, they're graceful. And, <laughs> you know, is that is that like a metaphor for his like he's like lumbering around at this house trying to figure out what's going on, but his like his poetry and his heart still graceful, but it's you know he's he's not able to express himself because he's not in the right frame of mind like the hippopotamus <laughs> would be once they're in the water. You know that I, kind of I way. Think I just probably something that was in the, that to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not yeah, completely stupid. Level English. No, I think, that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the only thing I would have changed maybe, and it's hard when it's a book and it's got mm. a title, but I don't think I would have called it The Hippopotamus. That's my only It's probably harder to sell with that title. Yeah. Because it doesn't really tell you anything yeah. about what's in there. It's, there's not actually a hippopotamus in the film, for example. No, but equally, obviously. it's easier I mean, to sell like it. Trade to, spotting, yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. What a, what a waste of money that was. God, <laughs> went in my yeah, no, even any trains in it. I went to go see that film. Not see one, one fucking train. train. Lots of heroin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and get through this as quick. Mm. Obviously, we've got the uh, the interview attached to this, so I don't want it to be like a three. I mean, hour we're knocking episode. on for that, are we? <laughs> At this point, we will be. Yeah, this this is probably like two and a half, maybe two hours in at least. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's it. There was no real criticisms. I had fun with it. I laughed at it. I, I got a bit got emotional when Jane died, as which I think is good sign. You know, we spoke to the filmmaker. It's good that he got the reaction he wanted from yeah. his audience. Yeah, that's what they were aiming for, wasn't it? So I suppose that leads us nicely yeah. into favorite scene. Uh, so my favorite scene. There's a there's some good ones in this, but I think it was the theatre scene <laughs> because it's just so. It tells you, like I said in the interview, it tells you everything you need to know about this yeah. character. He's fiercely intelligent, but he's he's cantankerous. He's he's a bit of an arsehole. He's self destructive um, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's clearly probably if he's not pissed, he's half. <laughs> he's at least you know not a hundred percent, and. I just love the fact that he he's 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 like the audience member, you know, giving out at one of these plays, you know. And I I, I thought that was loosely funny. Stool, effluent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a very and, you know, in his interaction. And yeah, and he's in his interaction with the audience member as well is really mm. funny. And yeah, there is other good scenes, but I thought that was the best. One. Well, it was maybe not the best one, but it was the one that was the most impactful in terms of its, if it's telling you what this film's about and who this character is, and it's a character you genuinely do like. I think, mm, at the end as of John the film. said, even if like, he's a bastard, he's right. Yes, yes, and I think I think he's got. I think I think characters like this have to. You have to empathise with them yeah. at times. Don't they you? might be saying what you and want you do to say. With them. 
Yeah, yeah, and he is, and he's, and in the beginning of the film, he's quite horrible to David. Mm. He's clearly, you know, everyone kind of sees through him, like why he's there. No one really believes that he's there just to see David, yeah. you know, that kind yeah. of way. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Sam? What was your? I find scene? it quite tricky. Um, there, there are a lot of great scenes. I quite like when I think about it. His boating time with David, talking about poetry. And David yeah. goes on about, you know, Wordsworth and so on. And, and he says, no, no, I sit, I think, my, you know. And uh, it's yeah. kind of tied to one or two other scenes where he's basically saying you know, poetry isn't just this thing about nature and and spirituality and so on. These are these are people with flesh and blood and getting their hands dirty in, the, in life, uh, which I, th- I really like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's. I did like that scene on the boat actually when he's talking about, and he's, you know, he's having to go, like you said, he's having to go at Wordsworth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, like Manly Hopkins. Everyone seems to hate Wordsworth in these films like this. They're always having to go at Paul Wordsworth. Now, Um, this could make the episode three hours long. Favourite lines, Hugh, (laughs) without um, recounting the entire script. Yeah, so I kind of gave one of them in the the interview, so I I won't use that one. Um, I really liked, um, and I forgot to, oh, I forgot to ask John about this. <laughs> I really liked the line where he goes, after doing something sinister for Margaret Thatcher <laughs> in the late 1980s, Michael was rebranded Lord Logan of Swafford and has since successfully managed the great house as his own personal fiefdom without compromising himself by running a wedding venue or a boutique hotel or, God forbid, a safari <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, but there's, oh, there's, so, there's so many good ones. Go on, what's your favourite? Yeah, a few. I, I quite like this. This one reminded me of Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a very specific reason. When Rebecca turns up, Rebecca Swan, and he says, if you're here, mm. Rebecca... Who's rolling? O- who's rolling over Narnia? <laughs> yeah, that's whenever good whenever yeah. Captain Holt meets up with his nemesis Wunsch, he's always like, "Yes, I thought I heard the the scuffing of hooves or something." You know, it's always some some excellent some excellent put down like that. Shall we? Shall we just get on with it and do Let's a few, do a few more? more then? Uh, knock them out of the park. Uh, I'll. I like um, when. Is it? Oh, what's the French woman called? Clara's uh, mum. Uh, I forget. I forget. Yeah. I forget. Yeah, when she turns up and comes out of the car, and then you just hear the voice of her go, "Well, who is this charmingly high-breasted and fiercely fuckable creature with an air of contemptible indifference?" And then he says, "Bonjour." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that um, high-breasted and fiercely yeah, fuckable. That is from the novel, if I remember correctly. I like it when he says, um, it? "I no longer really? turn blood into ink; these tears I turn whiskey into journalism." You know, that's a yeah, good establishment good, yeah. of the character. Uh, uh, I like, uh, <laughs> we mentioned it in the interview, uh, prolific buggerist. <laughs> I love it when Podmore comes in and he has to spell out C-O-C-K, like the help don't know how to, <laughs> how to spell. Yeah. <laughs> um, another line um, that's kind of the I've moral also... message in some ways, which is, sorry to piss on the parade, mm. but we all see we all see what we want to see and no one is immune. You know, he's kind of talking about the kind of confirmation bias that everybody has towards their yeah. spirituality. I like when he's talking about um, 
Michael, and he says, that stands for Chief Executive Officer. And I believe it's uh, sort of a cross between a managing director and a cunt. <laughs> 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 just, you know, just, just, I think it's the only C-bomb in the whole yeah, film, I think. So, I think. And, yeah. it just, and it just works. I wonder if they had a well. limit to make it a 15 rather than an 18. Yeah, yeah, because swearing is sex and swearing and violence is what gets you the 18. Yeah. If you get all those combined, I think you can get away with like lots of swearing and no violence and it gets like a 15. Yeah. But if you have lots of. But they might give you three um, fucks and two cunts or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also liked when he, he was in the car with. Um, Simon. What was the, the character? Simon, and he goes. <laughs> And he says, he goes, go on, do, do a one. poem. <laughs> yeah, do a poem. <laughs> and he's rhyming his name with yeah. Hyman and all yeah. that. <laughs> it's yeah. great. And there's, um, there's a million more. I think we should probably move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch the Watch film. Watch the film, yeah. It's made all. of them. Uh, favourite yeah. shot? If you haven't watched it. Um, this was the only thing I really struggled mm. with this week. And I decided to pick the... The opening establishing shot where you do see all the books yeah, on the bed. I quite liked that. Yeah, because it had like the hippopotamus poem, like you said, and that looked cool. Um, I imagine your favourite scene this week, Sam, is um, is it uh, looking down the, uh, the bath that Roger Staring up his tent. Yeah, that was obviously yeah. in my top three. Yeah, I think I think John yeah. was right to be self-reflective in that if he was to do it again, he would make it a more expressive camera. There's not as many... Uh, shots that are used frame, I think, in this film. Um, but yeah. but there's lots of great sets and and things on screen. What I really like, just for the sort of beauty of the shot, was when he's out around five a.m. and it's the sun's just coming up. There's a couple yeah. of very nice shots there um, where I he's think, kicking the bucket. I think sometimes, yeah, I think sometimes comedy does struggle with its cinematography mm. in terms of because it can't be taking itself too seriously with all these like light yeah. pastel shots but, and stuff you know you know I think um, Mel Brooks sum, summed it up the best by saying you know if, if I'm making a film I want you to see the back <laughs> you know I want you to see the, the background yeah. you know just um, pointing the camera at funny people doing funny things and uh, yeah it's, it's yeah. not there to, to do that sort of it's not an A24 sort of film so there's not a necessarily no. criticism could you imagine if A24 tried to do a comedy yeah well, have they done a comedy that'd be interesting they probably have, but I don't think it's like an A24 film that'd be like, like, I don't know, that's like that sort of thing that... Um, I suppose, I suppose that, something like Swiss Army Man is their version of a comedy, isn't it? Yeah, probably. And even that's fucking Yeah, so, yeah <laughs> interesting. So yeah. that's our stuff. We're going to go for one final break, Hugh, stuff. and we'll get yeah. some critics, your rating, and a little quizzy quiz about Hippopotamus, and we'll find out what we're going to do next week. Join us after the break. Ooh, exciting. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this bumper six-hour-long episode. Um, <laughs> you were going to hear critics, first of all. Um, not widely loved by critics, actually. Um, I don't know if you saw, but the Metacritic score was 46%. I did, yeah. And I saw, yeah, it's a shame. Did, yeah. It's, 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 a shame. it's just that, I mean, it's not a great epic 10 out of 10 sort of thing, but it's a shame that it's as, as low as that. It's not based on a lot of reviews, that has to be said. I think that's only based on four reviews, so that's not entirely representative. That's- the no, IMDb really. rating is six point four, so that's slightly more representative, closer to the closer to a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, 
Go on then, give us a critic. Mike McHale, McCarhill, uh, in The Guardian, gave it three stars out of five. And he said it's a slight limitation that neither Wallace nor the audience really knows what he's investigating. We're mostly watching Alum scowling at the eccentrics passing through his eyeline. But it's still a pleasure, and often a joy, to watch the star measuring out and savouring Fry's rich word wordplay like fingers of scotch. Even when the plotting gets clotted come the final reel, all that's required is for Alum to open his mouth to dispel any nonsense or mediocrity. Has there ever been an actor better suited delivering despairing fuck me's? <laughs> so he liked it. I mean, it was like this This film was made for yes. Alum. Like, it just feels like just this weird coincidence that he's perfect he for this role although I would have I, I could see a world where Stephen Fry he could, could do play it. this character he could do it and, and like, if I know you, you were saying the audiobook, the, he does it you know yeah but I get what John was saying about him being probably too charming yeah, for the yeah. role well. at the same time you sort but of have it, to believe that those nice people difference. have a heart underneath that and really they're only cantankerous because everyone's yeah. so shit <laughs> you know yeah. um, less fulsome in praise was Tom Huddleston but not that one uh, in Time Out gave it two stars, which is only one star less. I would was, have been impressed if Tom Huddleston was uh, moonlighting as a... Multi-talented. A, yeah. Movie I mean, critic, yeah. There's no E on the end, so it's probably Could not. Be. Um, yeah. He said, This adaptation of Stephen Fry's comic novel about an ageing alcoholic and his apparently miraculous godson relies so heavily on voiceover that it's practically an audiobook. The supporting cast of British lovies here is lively, but the script is just dull, regurgitating Fry's book in the most lumpen, unimaginative fashion. Oddball plot twists that might have seemed fresh and surprising on the page just come across as crass and silly when spoken aloud, while Alam's horribly overwritten stream-of-consciousness narration sounds like the boozy ramblings of a judgmental creep. All in all, a most unlikable film. I, I just don't agree yeah. with it. I mean, the voiceover... This isn't a film. This is a film, yes, that is based a lot around its voiceover and narration, but that's because it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's overwritten it's in the sense that it's verbose and interesting dialogue. You know, narration, it's not. Yeah. He's not using naturalistic dialogue in the same way that most of Stephen Fry's writing, admittedly, mm. does that. Um, so, yeah, I think we can just ignore that. <laughs> review yeah. to some extent it makes me appreciate Stephen Fry even more actually because I didn't realise he was a, actually such a good writer he genuinely has okay, written I've, no, I've not written I've not read anything he's written more. a few of my favourite novels I mean Star's Tennis Balls yeah. I couldn't recommend highly enough it's a modern retelling of The Count of Monte Cristo yeah. and it's, it's a wonderful film a, a wonderful book I recently he recently did the audio book for Making History which uh, he wrote 20 years ago that's the one I, rec- I recommended to you which was about if Hitler hadn't been born, oh, uh, which is genuinely very, very engaging, very mm. interesting. But critics aside, Hugh, you're the most important rater that I know. How? Ma- oh, I didn't come up with it. How many uh, <sighs> ducks? <laughs> Startled ducks. <laughs> how many? How many bite marks? Human bite marks <laughs> on the penis? Would you give this film? Well, on mine, I'd give it a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a seven. It isn't... I don't think it's greater than the sum of its parts, um, if I'm being honest. But is that might be more to do with the fact that it is based on a novel, so the novel is what it is. And it's, you know, if the novel's not 
you know, a, 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 you know, a ten out of ten, then you, the film's unlikely to be a ten out of ten as well. Do you know what I mean? So I was, it, it never got to an eight for me, if I'm being honest. But it it did make me laugh. Uh, it got me emotional when, like I said, Jane dies. So I, I enjoyed watching Roger Allen. I, I, it's great to talk to a. It's great to talk to uh, you know a director and. Um, get his insight and how it made I'd I love all that um, and yeah you know I've got fondness for it now no, speaking to uh, to John I so, think that's yeah. fair I think that's absolutely fair what, what, what about yourself I would say in the same sort of area 7, 7.5 kind of area yeah. because it does succeed as an adaptation um, but it's perhaps a novel that's not you know Stephen King writes novels that are great films regardless of how good or bad the novels are <laughs> you know whereas I think this is a novel yeah. that it works best as a novel but I think like I say the best compliment I can give it is I love the novel so much and yet I still really like the film so I think in that sort of 7 to 8 yeah. region for me yeah. yeah, yeah, it's I, yeah. I think that works as in it can only do as much as what the novel yeah. does it. and there's not many 90 minute comedies that get 10 out of 10 I think generally speaking let's find out how no, much you. attention you paid to the film though Hugh when we have a look at our quiz some easier than others has to be said so question number one how much does Jane pay Ted for his project uh, f- up front I think she pays him 25,000 mm. and then she says she'll give him another 75,000 fantastic very good so it's 100,000 100, altogether so is the answer 100,000 I'll take it well done yeah, yeah 75 yeah, uh, yeah, 25. yeah, yeah. Question two, what is Oliver suffering from? Is he dying? Of what? No idea. Angina. I didn't catch it. Angina. Oh, Oh, yeah. Where Ted goes down to Podmore and they're talking about the the culinary, uh, you know, dietary requirements. Question three, what type of poisoning do they believe lilac is suffering from? Or lilac? Oh, I can't remember the name of the disease. I'm yeah, afraid. so they think uh, lilac's eating ragwort. Yeah, it's some ragwort. Ragwort. Uh, I think it's a flower ragwort. or a plant of some kind. Right, I see, I see. And it just turns out that piss. It's, it's <laughs> and got pissed. <laughs> um, question yeah. four What was the name of Rebecca's TV show that Ted appeared on? Stanza. Well done. Yeah, very pretentious late night uh, intellectual yeah. television. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. someone's seen what was the show? What's the show called? Um, it's on. Is it Friday night? The news night review show or something? Yeah. That's very standard kind of things. <laughs> Question five. At the start of the film, Ted says, "I haven't wrote, written a poem since what year?" Nineteen eighty-seven. Well very good. Obviously, stood out for you there. So, a classic three out of five. Uh, the classic, classic score. score. That is absolute. The Indomitable the score. final, uh, the penultimate question I've got for you, Hugh, is what film are we? Oh, I've got two. I've got three questions for you. Firstly, would you recommend this film? Yes, yes, I would. Good. Yeah, because it's it's funny enough to for people yeah. to watch, and it's it's a good, I, I, it's a good, it's like a Sunday night yeah. film. It's like a nine o'clock BBC One or BBC Two. You sit down and you you're a bit tired. It's been a long weekend, and you just want something to laugh at and you enjoy. Just, yeah, and I think you. This is the kind of film my dad would like. Oh, interesting. Think, okay, well, yeah. please watch this, uh, Senior Hugh. Hugh Senior. Um, the second question I've got for you, Hugh, is what film are we going to watch next week? So, Sam, we're going to watch next week a film about monkeys, mm. but it's got 12 Planet of them. Planet of the Apes, you say? It's, 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do watch the uh, mid-90s film. Another mid-90s <laughs> film. Um, 12 Monkeys with Brucey Bruce Willis. In. And Braddy Brad Pitt. Uh, yeah, and Brad Pitt as well. Uh, but mainly Bruce <laughs> right. More. I don't think Brad Pitt's in it that so, much. It's 1995, yeah, another Probably mid-90s. See, I don't know much about yeah, this film. I know Terry Gilliam directed it. I know that there's some sort of time thing in there, sort of a almost looperish type thing. It's a Terry Gilliam film, so it's going to be a bit of a mindfuck. Um, but I really... This is one of those films that I genuinely have no idea how I haven't seen it yet. You know, I'm just kind of disappointed in myself that I haven't seen it yet, because it's got so many elements that I love. Terry Gilliam, mm. Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis, and time stuff. Um, so I'm genuinely look for, looking forward to this. I'll be honest with you, it's one of these films that I'm interested in to see again myself because it's been a long time since I've mm. seen it. So I'm wondering if it's a film that has held up since I saw it maybe 10 Because it doesn't get talked ago. about as much as it could considering the, the heavyweights th- that are involved in it. I think it got talked about more when it first, in the first 10 yeah. years of its life. But I think, I think other maybe better films have come along and and and, and occupied that space perhaps. as you say maybe it's been uh, maybe it doesn't age as well yeah. as we'd like so i'm but really it is a Terry looking Gilliam forward film, to this like you said re- i really am yeah yeah so it's it yeah it's definitely going to be something isn't it it is going to be something that's that's undeniable the final question then the third and final question I've got for you in the series of questions is if the listener wants to get in touch with us and let us know their views on hippopotamus 12 monkeys or just about anything that they want to tell us how could they do that so what they need to do, Sam, is they need to have a goddaughter, yeah. first and foremost, who's dying of a terminal illness right. and who then sends them away uh, to Stephen Fry's right. house yeah, and be like, Stephen Fry, why am I dying? Right, right, right. Yeah. Not not to the countryside. Maybe he lives in the country, but, you know, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. Why. I know he lives in Norwich. It's all countryside up there, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then when they're in Stephen Fry's house, they need to use his laptop to... Uh, to send us an email to please watch this dot pod at gmail.com mm, very tasty very tasty if instead they want to get in touch with us on the social media you can just go on twitter if you've got the internet go to at oh, yeah. please watch pod that. and just that's the just place say, isn't it? just say stuff to us there that's where where sam will literally field all your questions because I don't. <laughs> I can That's our division of labour. Because quite frankly, I still don't really get Twitter. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't. Yeah, I'm no, just, I, I'm don't know. I prefer Facebook. But anyway, so Sam, this has been a long ass episode. I think it's time to uh, get into the into the our metaphorical lakes that hippopotamuses <laughs> live in and go swimming. What a away. perfect analogy. Listener, we love you. John, thank you again. And uh, she will talk to you next week, mate. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.